What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Wednesday, November the 10th, the year 2021, on the apps of Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anch- the Anchor app, and iHeartRadio. Got lots to do, lots to talk about here on this midweek program. Recap week nine of the National Football League from my Cincinnati Bengals coming back down to earth from their, what, five and two, five and three high, uh, as recent as a few weeks ago. Give you my thoughts on that. Give you my thoughts on the under on the underdogs that became the alphas and the big time week nine upsets uh, over this past weekend. And of course, Monday night football, or excuse me, Monday night rough ball that occurred at Heinz Field on Monday night. Also, we'll have Daniel Oy Fusi join us later on in the program. He, formerly of the Baltimore Sun, now a Miami Dolphins beat reporter for the Miami Herald. He will join us later on in the program to give us a feel for the 2001 Miami Dolphins at an up close and per- from an up-close and personal perspective. Uh, and he also will uh, help us uh, preview the th- uh, this uh, upcoming Thursday night football matchup between the Baltimore Ravens and the Miami Dolphins. But where we begin... Uh, do a little bit of a different format to the show. Instead of me, you know, breaking down the uh, breaking down the week nine matchups first, and then do the Bengals second. I'll do the Bengals first, and then do the uh, and then do the other week nine uh, stuff uh, as we move it along here. And it's nice to have you with us. But let's begin with my Cincinnati Bengals. Who, if you are someone that stopped watching football for whatever the reason or hasn't paid attention to the Bengals or football since October 24th and you're somehow some way listening to this program uh, and you have no idea what the hell's going on with Cincinnati Bengals well let me enlighten well let me enlighten take the time and take this opportunity to enlighten you guys because my Cincinnati Bengals my Cincinnati Bengals have came down coming down to earth is an understatement. They have not only come down to earth, they are now six feet into the earth, into the ground. They have, they have the bungles, ladies and gentlemen, that every single non-Bengals fan has known. And if you're a fan of the Browns, Steelers, Ravens, loved, uh, laughed at, the bungles are back. Congratulations. Bravo. You know, just give it up. The Cincinnati Bungles are back. Oh, boy, have we missed you since, uh, what, week 17 of the 2020 season. Boy, have we missed the Cincinnati Bungles. The Bungles are back, baby. They are back. You know why they're back? Because Joe Burrow turned over the football at infinitum. With the, he's now tied for the he's he's tied for the league league in interceptions. As a matter of fact, let me he's got at the interceptions on the season. He's he leads that he's a, one of the leaders many leaders in the clubhouse. I think he might be tied with uh, with Patrick Mahomes and somebody else for the league leading uh, in interceptions this season. He threw two interceptions in this game. Okay, he is, he is now, he's tied for first in interceptions this season with 11. So he's turned over the, he's now turned over the football guys in six straight games. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know about you, 
But I've been a fan of football, played it at the high school level, flag would and have been a fan of it and watched it and have watched God knows how many football games throughout my damn near twenty years of living. And I tell you something right now, turn your quarterback turning over the football is not a recipe for success. Uh Jamar Chase uh, now, granted, Jamar Chase had a phenomenal. How in the world Jamar Chase did not get Rookie of the Month when he, when I believe he got Rookie of the Week damn near every week throughout the month of October, and he didn't end up wa- walking away with Rookie of the Month for the month of October is an absolute disgrace. But as, a, but based on how he's played on, uh, on, you know, this past Sunday, he isn't going to get Rookie of the Month for the month of November either. Six receptions. 78 yards receiving and a fumble. I mean, Jamar Chase, who now granted he he's had a phenomenal rookie season. I've praised him. I've praised his draft pick, everything else. But and yes, he is a lot of bad game. He is a rookie after all. But a bad, but a bad, his bad game couldn't have came in at a worse at a worse time going against the Cleveland Browns. We'll get to them in a minute. Jamar Chase was bad. Drop passes galore from Chase. He was targeted eight times, only had six catches in the game. Uh, Higgins dropped the key touchdown pass that the Bengals needed to have in the worst way to close out the first half. That that the ball literally squirted from underneath his hands and in between his legs, dropped it for an incomplete pass. And then don't forget Shamaji Piran, who stinks, who was absolutely pathetic, offensive to the senses. Uh, dropped the pass. I believe it was a third and two. Third, it was it was a third and short. I forget the exact uh, distance, but it was a third and short. Again, Bengals had to have a, had to have this drive to keep the ball moving to keep the pressure on the Cleveland Browns defense, who had been out on the field a ton, especially in the first quarter. Uh, especially with with the first quarter, the only negative you know side effect of the Denzel Ward pick six is that it didn't allow the Cleveland Browns defense that got worked that got you know that got. Took, they got taken to the cleaners up until that Ward pick six throughout that beautiful Bengals opening drive. The only negative thing is that after Ward took the ball, you know, a hundred yards, you know, the length of the field for for six points, that they, they had to go right back out there onto the field without without without, without a uh, getting a breather, which of course, which of course, uh, you know didn't benefit Cleveland in the long term because the Bengals, you know, shortly thereafter went down the field and put together a touchdown drive and tied the game at seven apiece and that was as, and and through the first quarter, that's as close as the game got all afternoon. Uh, Again, Samaji Piran on a third and short dropped the ball where all he has to do is catch it, look the ball into his hands, takes a couple of, he can walk to the first down marker. He was that, he was that wide open. He dropped the pass. He dropped passes that were absolutely momentum and drive killers in the game. Higgins, Chase, and P. Ryan's to be exact. Uh, and one of the issues that I'm seeing from the Bengals is that they are way, 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 way too dependent on the on the Jamar Chase deep ball. They have become, you know, their combination throughout the first uh first half of the season has been deadly. One of the reasons why the Bengals have five wins at this point in the season hanging into their bye week, but it's it's gotten to their head. It's like, "Oh, we oh, we can now throw the ball deep downfield now. We got a legitimate deep threat. Lamar Jamar Chase, you know, is, is might be rookie of the year. Joe Burrow is the real deal. They've fallen in love with that and they've essentially said to hell with everybody else. They just finally, within the last couple of games, started to get T. Higgins more involved, which you like. Uh, their draft pick out of uh, their draft pick out of the University of Clemson from last year. But the thing that I don't like: look at Tyler Boyd. 
you look at you look at the box score. Tyler Boyd, you know, Drew Sample, the the number the number two tight end, C.J. Uzama, who you know who's had a decent season, didn't do much of anything on Sunday, but what? But two tight ends, Samashi Pirine and Mike Thomas. All well, not Mike Thomas, Mike Thomas, but Pirine and the two tight ends, Sample and Uzama, both got more balls thrown to him and had more receptions than Tyler Boyd. Okay, that is an issue. One of the glaring reasons, now I get it, this is the first, now granted it's not, you know, the offense has been spotty the last couple of weeks, but to be fair, to be fair, Cincinnati, the Cleveland Browns have a fantastic defense and and it's their first time putting up less than 20 points in a game you have to go all the way back to week two when they played the Bears in, in, in their week two loss on the road against the Bears when they only put up 17 points. So it's their first game scoring 20 points or less in what? In uh, in damn near two months. So you give so you cut them a little bit of a break from that from that standpoint. But they're even though they put up 31 points against the Jets last week, their offense has very has been very 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 spotty. You saw two, you saw it in the Jet game or uh, early on in their first and one of their first opening drives of the first quarter where they where they got the where they off of a. Uh, off of a uh, Jesse Bates interception that nearly went the distance. The Bengals failed to put the ball in the end zone then. And then, of course, the opening drive against the Browns to go all the way down the field. And Joe Burrow makes a horrendous pass, gets totally baited by Denzel Ward, and he catches the ball and goes down the length. It goes down the length of the field, and all of a sudden, you, you think that oh, the Bengals gonna, you know, the Bengals gonna come to here to play today. It's gonna be seven nothing Cincinnati, and the game changed right there on a dime, and all of a sudden it's seven nothing Cleveland. And then you know Joe Burrow trying to for, trying to force the issue, and he gets and, and and I know it's a lot of a lot of instances with Burrow. There are way too many interceptions that he thro- that he's thrown in this season that have that has been you know deflected. You know, too many, too many times where he's trying to throw, where he's trying to throw a pass and throw the ball into an area that has no business going in, trying to throw a, trying to throw a sunflower seed through a tight slither of a crack of a window, and he tries to force the issue, and the ball gets either deflected off his own receiver's hands, it goes off the helmet, it goes off the hands or an arms of a of a defensive lineman or a linebacker or a member of the secondary, and it's a tip drill. Ball goes up in the air, and it miraculously finds and miraculously finds a defensive player's hands and arms and then goes down as, as an interception. He threw one of those interceptions again on Sunday again on Sunday that was that was the that was the essential coup de grace to the Bengals that after you know back on uh Early in the early in the second half on Sunday against Cleveland, he had that happen to him that ended up being you didn't know it at the time, but the coup de gras for the Bengals, which uh, which was the ultimate momentum shifter against the Jets the week before that. He threw way too many balls that was tipped up in the air and contested that it went on one like you know he threw it directly to him. These you know this is just great pass defense. That you know, it's it's bad luck that it ends up in an intercept in an interception instead of an incomplete pass. But he's throwing passes that have no business being thrown when the when the area that he's trying to throw the ball into is it's way too crowded by defensive players. And you saw that many a times where he had three straight where you know he dropped back the pass three straight times. He threw three straight interceptions in the Bear game back in week two. So they are not taking care of the football. Burrow, I understand you know not to worry. He's only played nine. Games, he's still a rookie in essence. And you look at Brady, you look at Rodgers, you look at 
uh, Manning. They turned the ball over a ton. You know when they when you know when they were you know early in the stage of their career. So I get that, and I'm not panicking. I'm not saying Joe Burrow's going to be a bust and Joe Burrow stinks and cut Joe Burrow. Tr- I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that if Joe Burrow, you know, like he said after the Raven game, win a division, we can win it all. Well, you can't win your division, and you can't try, and you can't win Super Bowls, Joseph, turning over the football. You can't win football games, whether it's home, away, at Chicago, at the Jets, or home against the uh, Cleveland Browns. You cannot win football games turning over the football at infinitum. Throw, you know, throwing these interceptions in, cr- in crowded areas, allowing the ball to get tipped and deflected up in the air, and all of a sudden it's anyone's game when it comes to you know when it comes to uh, having the, having the football land directly into the defensive player's hands, and then of course with a terrible read on the Denzel Ward interception to close out the opening drive. But getting back to my point with the Chase Deep Ball, they've become way, way, way too dependent on the Jamar Chase Deep Ball. It's you know, it's it's the and that's the problem. You know, you see it all the t- you see it all the time in baseball, feast that feast or famine offensive mindset. You either hit the ball out of the ballpark or you strike out nine thousand times. Or in or in uh, basketball, it's a three pointer or you can't sh- or you can't make a basket off a boat into the Atlantic Ocean. You see it. Way too many times in sports, and with the Bengals' offense as of late, it's, it's the same story. It's either find Joe Burrow, find Jamar Chase, beat his man seventy yards on you know. Remember Madden sixteen? I'm talking to my younger audience. Remember Madden uh, sixteen, where uh, where essentially four verticals was on where where the four verticals pass pattern was on steroids, and the wide receivers uh, catch rate was like at a ninety nine, and every and almost every single contested. Uh, catch on man-to-man coverage that your the wide receiver would automatically go into like that OBJ-esque type of uh, one hand one-handed catch one-handed catch animation and you know every single time especially if you if you played a team that had you know, that had one of the sorry had one of the best wide receivers in the league you know the the Giants with Odell the Falcons with Julio Jones the Bengals with AJ Green so on so and you remember how you just call four verticals every single time and it would work 90 90 95% of the time that's what that's what it's become with the Bengals Madden 16 and they've gotten drunk off of calling the four verticals pass pen and then and then and then hit and then the caveat and then all of a sudden Madden 17 came out and he, and he used that same approach and same strategy and then and for whatever the reason or well not for whatever the reason but it but you called four verticals time and time and time again and your success rate went from like 90% down to like forty five percent or 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 sixty percent. Uh, That's the same thing here. The Bengals the Bengals would hit ninety percent of the time with the with the deep ball t- from Burrow to Jamar Chase. And then all of a sudden, you know, opponent, you know, the Jets kind of the Jets took took that away from a little bit last week. Uh, took that a little bit away from him last week, and then it didn't work against the Browns on Sunday. And all of a sudden, it's well, well if we can, if no Jamar Chase deep ball, we don't have an offense, and that cannot be the case. You know, I I understand Jamar Chase is your is your shiny brand new toy, rookie of the year front runner. Najee Harris coming for that coming for that title. By the way, uh, we all we all thought it was going to be a Jamar Chase runaway, and and Najee Harris is close is uh, closing the gap slowly, sure, slow. Slowly, quietly, but surely he is. 
Um, but anyway, I understand you got Jamar Chase and he's a shiny new toy, the rookie that's turning all types of heads and break, breaking all types of records and everything else. But hey, you still got T. Higgins, who's a hell of a wide receiver that you drafted last year out of uh, out of Clemson. And then, and then you also got Tyler Boyd, now one of the one of the longest uh, tenured uh, Bengals on the offensive side of the football that's that's on the team. You know, you, you got him, you got him, and, and when he's clicking, he's one of the best wide receivers in the game too. Especially in the AFC, he's sitting there, and you, and you know throwing to uh, throwing to. Tyler Boyd and him only getting one reception on the afternoon on exactly uh, two targets. It's not championship football, and it's not, and it's not. That's not how. That's not how you win football games. You got to find a way to spread the wealth and get everybody involved. Uzama's been involved as of late, which you'll, you know the Ravens game, the Jaguar game, which you like. But you also, but if if it's, if Uzama and Jamar Chase aren't making the plays in the receiving game, you got to spread the wealth. You got to spread the wealth a little bit more. They've slowly but surely gotten T. Higgins involved, which is which is a uh, which is a positive. But you also got to find a way to get to get Tyler Boyd involved. You know, Zach Taylor and the Bengals' offensive crew should head into these games saying, "Hey, we are going to use, should head in at least to begin some of these games saying, "Hey, we are going to use." We are going to use uh, Jamar Chase as a decoy, which means we are going to make the make the opponent, you know, double team and make sure that Jamar Chase doesn't let out of their sight. Meanwhile, we'll have CJ. Meanwhile, we'll let me if and if they uh, take away Jamar Chase from us and and they feed into our into our trap and and take Jamar Chase away from us, then then it opens up then it opens up more opportunities for uh, for Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, and and CJ Uzama. That that's how you that's how you go about it. You don't just force feed Jamar Chase the ball because then that's when you make the mistakes, a la the Denzel Ward interception to close out that opening drive uh, inside the uh, Cleveland inside the Cleveland Browns red zone. But they got to work on getting Tyler Boyd the ball enough because he he's too talented of wide receiver and he's too good to have one reception for eleven yards in a game. That's just unacceptable. Uh, the offensive line also was just absolutely was just absolutely Absolutely horrendous. Burrow was sacked five times on a game again. The offensive line has cleaned up its act uh, a, a decent amount since uh, you know since the Bears game. The last time I really talked about it, maybe it's the fact that the Bengals offensive line again went from lethal to crap. Maybe that's maybe that's the case to stand for, or maybe the fact that the Bengals defense is not bad. Um, we all know that that it's not great, but they're not bad. It's just the fact that they're going up against teams a la the Bears and the Browns that have one of the best. Uh, Pass rushes and all of and uh, all of football. Uh, so you know, and Miles and Miles Garrett, who made Joe Burrow's life a living hell uh, when they played him back in Week Two on that Thursday night game. On a Thursday night game, you know, it may, it may, it, granted, uh, you look at his, look at the stat sheet. Miles Garrett only got one and a half sack against Burrow uh, on a Sunday. So maybe it's just. Maybe it's you know not necessarily the fact the Bengals offensive line is just so bad. It's just the fact that the Cleveland Browns defensive line is so good. But anyway, you can't win the game when your quarterback is getting pounded into the turf time and time and time and time and time again, just getting pounded and beat and beat. And also that strikes up the PTSD of Bengals fans everywhere because God forbid we see we you know if Joe Burrow gets injured and has to miss any amount of time. 
we're, you know, we're screwed. So, so that's not good. So that's not good either. And then, of course, the Bengals, they, you know, they only got to uh, Baker Mayfield twice, but their pass rush was not as, has not been as dominant as it has been, uh, you know, in previous games in the season, you know, against Pittsburgh and Baltimore, the two divisional opponents of the, or the first two games that come to mind. Uh, missed tackles all over the place. It was a large, it was a tremendous glaring issue in the Jet game on Sunday. It was no different. Look at the Nick Chubb, uh, look at the Nick Chubb 70, 75 yard run to Painter that he had, uh, that he had early on in the second half where it was about, you know, one, two, three missed tackles and it was off to the races of Nick Chubb. You know, the, uh, the secondary was Swiss cheese. I don't know how in the world, uh, Mike Hilton or not Mike Hilton, Eli Apple, who stinks uh let donovan people's jones beat him over the top i mean it's just horrendous horrendous defense this quote-unquote top 10 defense which i was starting to be proud of and starting you know flex my uh you know flex my uh, bengals muscle and brag about they've completely imploded in the last couple of weeks They've completely imploded in the last couple of weeks, giving up more than 30, giving up 31 points or more in back-to-back outings. Gave up 34 against the Jets, 41 against the Cleveland Browns, and their defensive performance uh, against the against the Ravens, against the Lions, and uh, and again and against Pittsburgh and Chicago seem seem like figments of my imagination at this point in time. Their defense, either their defense has gotten figured out. Or some or something happened. The clock must have struck midnight on the on the Bengals defense because their quote unquote top ten defense has relegated and turned back into a pumpkin with back to back horrendous, hor- horrific, embarrassing defensive performances in the Jet game and against Cleveland last week. Uh, and then of course, and then as, if you want my opinion, my opinion is is that the Bengals season is over. You're gonna sit up here and say, "Jai, really? They're five and four. They've lost back-to-back games. They've won more games than out throughout the first half of the season than they had. You know, the first two first halves of 2019 and 2020 combined." Take it easy. They got Burrow. You can tell me that to the cows come home. And I understand if you're someone who is not a Bengals fan or someone who's a member of the national football media and you and you don't think that the Bengals season is over and the Bengals still have a chance to make the playoffs and and or win their division, I'm not going to fight you off on it and I'm not and I'm not going to uh, and I'm not going to ridicule you for it and I'm not going to strike issue with it. But me, as a Bengals fan since 07, a Bengals fan that has saw that has lived through and has witnessed many of playoff collapses and many of uh, in-season collapses. Whether you want to go back, and I will look up, and I will give you the seasons. You either want to you want to go back to 2009, in which they laid a big fat egg at home against the New York Jets. You want to go to 2011, 2012, in which that team, in which that team laid an egg on the road twice in back-to-back years, uh, in back-to-back years, losing to the Houston Texans on the road. You want to go to two. You want to go to 2012. Uh, when they lost the playoff game to uh, who did they lose the playoff game to in 2012? No, 2000, I don't know, 2011, 2012 with the Texans. You want to go 2013, in which they lost the home playoff game to Philip Rivers of all people and the Los Angeles Chargers. You or the excuse me, the San Diego Chargers. You want to go to 2014, in which they lost the road game to the Indianapolis Colts. 
You want to go to the 2015 collapse against Pittsburgh? I mean, what co- what uh, collapse would you like? Would you like me to go to? What collapse in tw- in their 20 and uh, Marvin Lewis's final season in 2018? The Bengals started. The Bengals started the season one. The Bengals started the season two and zero. Oh, Two and one, three and one, four and one, four and two, four and three. They went into the. They went. They had a week nine bye week in 2018, or excuse, yeah, uh, yeah, 2018. They had a five and three record heading into the bye week nine. Same week that the bye week is now. Had a bye week heading into week nine of the 2018 season. The Bengals went on to lose. Seven out of their last eight. I am not making that up. They went to lose. So don't sit there and tell me that I'm engaging in hyperbole and blah, blah, blah. I've seen it happen many a time. I've seen the Bengals look promising, offer them to nosedive, collapse, and self-destruct on themselves and disappoint me and make me want to punch a hole in the wall many a times throughout the years. Many a time. And this, and I'm not even talking playoff. This is regular season. Start the season 2-0. and They go into, they head into the bye 5-3. and And they proceed to lose 7 out of their last 8 games. Their, their win before their bye in week 8 on October the 28th. They beat the Bucks 37-34. to Week 15 was the next time that they won a game. Against the Raiders, thirty to sixteen, they came out of the bye and went on and went to proceed to go on a five-game losing streak. So don't sit up there and tell me that 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 that, that, it, that it can't happen, or you know, you know what you're talking about. You know, have a little bit of faith in your team. No. When you're a fan, when you're a fan of a franchise that has done nothing but stab you in the heart and and uh, and disappointed you and frustrated you and pissed you off to no end for years and years and years and years and years upon end, you can't you can't automatically take that we'll get them next time optimistic positive approach. You can't not when you're a Cincinnati Bengals fan or not when you're an Orioles fan born after. 1997. You, you can't. You can't. You can't do that. You can't. It's it's unrealistic to have that expectation. Started season five and three. Went into the bye. Went on to lose seven out of the last eight. Now maybe what three years later? It's a different story. Bengals bye week is in week nine. They lost their game. They lost their. And ironically enough, the Bengals in week eight in 2018. It was a home game. So maybe the you know Bengals they lose a home game week eight heading into the bye they come out of the week nine bye and go on a five game winning streak maybe they do that my lips your lips to God's ears they come out they come out of the bye we go on a five game win streak but you know I would I'd have to it, it, it would it would shock me and blow me away if that if that were to happen if that were to occur. Because the Cincinnati Bengals that I've grown up watching and grown up being a fan of, they don't, they don't, they don't do that. They do not do that. They don't do that. 
Bengals invent ways to lose instead of inventing ways to win. And when they face adversity, they collapse and fold up like a cheap like a cheap tent on the clearance rack at the Dick Sporting Goods I work at. They don't. That's historically that's not what the Cincinnati Bengals do. I'm so I'm sorry. They 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 just, they just don't. They don't. They don't. So you can sit there and say we'll be optimistic. I gotta see it. I gotta see it because, in my estimation, in my opinion, the season's over. This team played like the and here's the thing that would concern me. This team, albeit it was close and they had a double digit lead against the Jets last week. Here's what concerns me. They they have had the at least from the outside looking in, and I don't live in and I don't live in the greater Cincinnati area, so I don't have a as good of a pulse on the on the franchise as I would if I was a, if if I was a native Cincinnatian. But this is how but this is how this is how I see it. This team has played like and has whether con, whether subconsciously or con, whether or not whatever. They have played like the rate that their Ravens that their Ravens forty one to seventeen road win back in week six was their Super Bowl. Being honest, that beating the Ravens for the first time in Baltimore since week seventeen, New Year's Eve of twenty seventeen, and at, on the road and beating the Ravens for the first time since week two of the twenty eighteen season, that that and the Ravens who were on a tremendous high had not lost a game since week one against the Raiders, who heading into that game were undefeated at M and T Bank Stadium, whole nine yards, beat the living crap out of the Chargers, which at that point in time was one of the AFC's uh, best teams in that point in time in mid-October. They go into Baltimore. They absolutely destroy the Ravens. They quiet down their offense. They get to Lamar Jackson. They drop over 40 points on the Ravens defense that has had the Bengals number the last couple of seasons. And they have pretty much acted like that that was their Super Bowl. Funny, I don't recall the 2021 2021 NFL season being only seven weeks long. Six, seven weeks long. Seven weeks long. They played in week seven. And I got to be honest, and I got to be transparent with y'all. They were cocky. They were arrogant. They carried themselves that they were the quote-unquote team to beat in the AFC. That they were the AFC favorite to go to the Super Bowl. They, They will probably never admit it. But I guarantee you they were reading their press clippings, hearing the praise that they got on social media and and, and, and the national media and the newspapers and everywhere else. They got they were feeling themselves. Now, to a degree, a franchise that, you know, hasn't played meaningful football in December since 2015, you can make the argument that they kind of deserve to stick their chests out a little bit when they have been an inept franchise for the better part of the last three, four years or so. You can make the argument. But still, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. And walking the walk is not going into the MetLife Stadium and losing to Mike White, of all people, and, and the one win at the time, New York Jets. 
and then turning around and coming back home, coming off of this, this the disappointment of the Jet game, getting absolutely punched in the mouth by the Cleveland Browns, who have had a coming off of a whirlwind of a week dealing with the Odell Beckham Jr. drama. You, that cannot happen. I'm sorry, it just can't. And these last two pieces of humble um, of humble pie have not tasted good. They haven't tasted. They they don't taste good. As a fan, I'm pretty sure it doesn't taste good. And as a player and a coach, it probably tastes ten times worse. But they were cocky and they were arrogant, and it kind of caught up. It has caught up to them at this point in time. Five and three. One of the best records in it, one of the, not five and three, five and two after the Raven game, holding the number one seed in the AFC and sitting in first place. Now they hold the 10th spot in the AFC, and now they are tied for last in the AFC North. That, that's not championship football. That tells me as a, that tells me as a lifelong Bengal fan that this team is not mature enough and not, and not, uh, and not uh, able enough to handle mid-season success. That's what that's what that proves to me. That they are not mature enough, and they are not ready, and they are not coached like they like they should be coached. As far as having the mindset of never being satisfied, don't get too caught up in your own hype. Don't walk around with the mindset that your crap doesn't stink. And just go out there and do your job each and every single week. And the only time you get to gloat and stick your chest out is when you're playing in the Super Bowl. And they have not been taught that. They have not been coached that. Because that is what this little two-game skid that, they've, that they're currently on right now, that's what that's telling me. That they are not ready to handle success. If they're not ready to handle success, how can you sit here and say that they're a playoff team? If they can't, if they can't handle, if if they can't handle blowing out the Ravens on the road, and being essentially the NFL talk of the town coming out of Week Seven, if they, if they can't handle beating the Ravens, what makes me think that they can handle being a playoff team or winning their division and having a home playoff game? And again. You can call me, so you can say I'm getting caught up in hyperbole, I'm pessimistic, whatever you want. Whatever you want. I've seen this movie way too many times. And it all begins and ends the same, the same way every single time. They start out hot, plus 500 record to start the season. Spend a week or two in first place in the AFC North. They win a couple of gutty, heart heart palpitating uh, games, a la the Viking game in week one, a la the Jaguar game a few weeks later after that. They win a game that you didn't expect them to win, a la the Raven game, and then they proceed to go on this amountable stretch where they do nothing but lose games left and right by either underestimating their opponents or self-inflicted ineptitude. Same damn script, different cast of characters. The 2021 Bengals season and Mize is over. It's over. And in order, 
I, 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 nothing would make me happier than for them to prove me wrong. But, but I, I, I just don't see it that way. I have got to see something from the quarterback, the defense, the head coach. Something that says this is not the Bengals team of old. We have, we have, we have 100% turned over a new leaf, and we will and we are a different football team. I got to see that. And to convince, and here's why I want to tell Zach Taylor and the fellas in Cincinnati, coming from a pessimistic but passionate Bengals fan, here, here, here's, here's what you got to do to prove me wrong and to make me eat crow again. Here, here's what you got to do. Come out of the bye. Don't talk. Talk is cheap. I heard, I read and hear all the quotes. We're going to be proud of, we're the fans going to be proud of this football team coming out of the bye week. We're a resilient bunch of guys. Ah, ah, enough, please. I've, I've been, I've been, I've been told, and I've been, I've been told a whole of a lot, a hell of a lot of miskept promises throughout my 19 years of living. I've, 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 I've heard enough of the lip service. I've heard enough of the smoke and mirrors. I've been told a bunch of unkept promises all throughout my life. Words, words, when it comes to certain things, really don't mean that much to me anymore at this point in time in my life. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. So, save your quotes. Save, save your, save your soliloquies about, about you know, talking about the things that they, that 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 you that you uh, want Bengals fans to hear. Save all that. Save all of that. Go out there. Come out of the bye. Go on a five-game win streak. You really want to prove to me and prove to America some little parts of it out there that says, ah, it's the same old bungles again. Go out there, week 10. You play the, you play the Raiders at Vegas. No Henry Ruggs. You don't have to worry about him beating you deep downfield. Go out there and beat the Raiders. And not only beat the Raiders, go on a five-game win streak. Beat the Raiders on beat the Raiders on the road. Beat the beat the Steelers and beat the Chargers at home. Beat the San Francisco 49ers who are going nowhere. I'll get to them later in the program. And beat the Denver Broncos. Go out there and be 10 and 4 come Christmas time. You go out there and you are 10 and 4 have not heading into week 16 with a chance to clinch a playoff spot then 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 you'll show me something. By Christmas right before the Raven game on the 26th of December 10 and 4. Want to want to show you want to show me teeth you want to prove to America and prove to yours truly that you're the real deal, that things have really changed in Cincinnati? Go on a five-game winning streak. No questions asked. I want defense. I want the defense to like the defense that I saw in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Lion game, in the Bear game, minus the opening drive, uh, minus the opening drive with Andy Dalton, the Steeler game, the Ravens game. Let me see that top 10 defense return. Let me see Joe Burrow spread the spread the wealth, spread the ball around. Let me see Joe Mixon, you know, have a have a nice have a nice couple of games where he runs over 100 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Let me see it. 
Joe Burrow doesn't turn over the football, goes five, five, six games in a row without a turnover. Let me see it. Let me see it. Until I see it, the season's over. Then I got plenty of time to prove me wrong, but the season's over. Back after this. the I'm Telling TIS podcast. The theme of Weekend of the National Football League was uh, upset was upsets and letdowns as far as the top tier teams throughout the uh, National Football League, especially with the NFC because you had the Cowboy, you had the Cowboys, Rams, and Packers, all of whom who had only lost one game heading into Week Nine. They all walked out of. Uh, they all when uh, they went head to pillow on Sunday night. Walked out of their uh, of their specific games with an added loss. Packers, their win streak, their what, their uh, seven game win streak, which they haven't, which prior to Sunday and lost the game since the Week One massacre against the Saints. Um, you know, their win streak, they say goodnight to their win streak. Same thing with the Cowboys. They also hadn't lost a game since week one against the Bucks. Their win streak uh, is uh, no longer. And then, of course, the Rams, who had been flying high coming off of their most recent loss against the uh, against the uh, Arizona Cardinals back in October as they lost to, they lost their game at home to the Derrick Henry-less Tennessee Titans. We'll get to that in a moment. A moment. But we begin with the Cowboys. Who lost? Uh, who shockingly got upset by the uh, D- by the Denver Broncos, thirty to sixteen, and who in the world saw this coming? I mean, the fact that the, that it's it's the Broncos just by the fact that it was the Broncos' first game without Von Miller on the roster since two, since two thousand and ten. Think about it. it has been a full decade. Since the last time the Denver Broncos played a football game with, I'm not talking about without him on the field, but it's been over 10 years, to about 10 years, a decade, 2010. So that's 11 seasons, 10 years since the Denver Broncos last played a football game without without their Super Bowl MVP, All Pro, Hall of Fame linebacker Von Von Miller on the on their roster. And they go out there and stomp all over one of the best teams in the NFC in the Dallas Cowboys, thirty to sixteen. And it's weird, you know, Cooper Rush, Dak couldn't go for whatever the reason, uh, dealing with the calf strain issue coming out of the bye against the Vikings last week. Cooper Cooper Rush goes ahead and, and orchestrates a game winning or, orchestrates a game winning drive to beat the Vikings the other day, and then you know, and then all of a sudden Dak comes back. And it's just I don't, I don't know what the heck happened. He just their offense was non-existent. 
Prescott had 20 incomplete pass incomplete passes on the afternoon, got sacked twice, threw an interception, uh, th- only threw for 232 uh, threw for only 232 passing yards. Zeke Elliott was not a factor whatsoever. He only 11 yard 11 yards was his longest run of the afternoon on 10 carries, 51 yards on the ground. Uh, Amari Cooper, Amari Cooper, uh, Ceedee Lamb, they were held in check. Were not a factor in the receiving game for Dallas on Sunday. Uh, I mean, I understand that you know if you would expect them to win every game out the rest of the season, you know the chances of that happening would have been slim to none. But against the Denver Broncos of all teams, and I don't mean losing a game where you know twenty three seventeen, not even that. It's the fact that their offense just didn't show up. And you look at every game that Dallas has played this season, their offense has done a hell of a job putting up points. They scored, I mean, on a hell of a job, maybe too strong. They did put up 20 against the Vikings, but but you put that with an asterisk next to it because they had no Dak Prescott. Still won the game, but they had no Dak Prescott. But look at the games that they have played with Dak out there on, with Dak out there on the field. They scored 35 points in Dak's last start against the Patriots on the 17th of October. They scored 44 against the Giants, 36 against Carolina, 41 against the Eagles. Uh, and t- 29 against Tampa, and they, so they were held in check to a certain degree uh, by the Chargers in Week 2. But for the Dallas Cowboys offense to just disappear out of thin air was just absolutely astonishing. And then you go and then you look at the, the how the Denver Broncos played, and albeit they got the Teddy Bridgewater four times and he didn't necessarily look like John Elway out there on the field, but they couldn't stop the run. Denver ran as a team for 190 yards on the ground. Um, and then, of course, the uh, Bronco running back, Devontae Williams, on 17 carries, ran for 111 yards. Melvin Gordon also 21 carries, 80 yards on the ground, and ran, the, and ran for a touchdown himself. So the Dallas Cowboys could not stop. You have the Dallas Cowboys, not their defense, not being able to stop the run. And then, of course, with their offense just held, in t- held entirely in check until the fourth quarter, they did not put up a point. They were held scoreless through three quarters. When their offense goes flat and goes silent, and your defense get can't stop the run, that's that's a recipe for disaster. That's all there is to it. That's game number. Dallas Cowboys going to be okay, but those are games that again, if you want to talk about historical ineptitude in relation to my Cincinnati Bengals, you know, if the Dallas Cowboys want to prove to America and prove their fan base that they are a legitimate Super Bowl contender in 2021, they cannot go out there and lose. They can't can't lose a home game with Dak coming back, coming back from injury and lose to a 4-4 mediocre Denver Broncos team with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. And it it being the emotional week that it was, not having, uh, not with with the... uh, with the uh, trade of one of their franchise's cornerstones and one of their greatest players in the post-John Elway era uh, and Von Miller being traded. You can't you can't sit up here and lay an egg and lose thirty to sixteen to the to the Denver Broncos. You just can't. That's just unacceptable. And you know, and that and losing games like that is why people are going to sit here and say, "See, that's why the Dallas Cowboys are not a Super Bowl team because because Super Bowl teams 
don't let don't lay eggs to four to to mediocre four and four football teams, especially with, as especially uh, their first game after in the aftermath of one of their best players currently and one of the best players in history of the franchise getting traded. Dallas Cowboys losses. Item number one. Item number two is the, the Buffalo Bills loss against the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. Uh, was just a, I, hey that game was an absolute eyesore to watch. All field goals throughout the game, no touchdowns. And it was an embarrassing performance from Buffalo, who are two and two on the road. By the way, uh, it's it just a, a horrendous performance. Josh Allen got sacked four times. Give the Jacksonville Jaguars defense tremendous credit. Buffalo Bills, who one of the most had one of the uh, high flying off one of the most. Excuse me, high flying offenses in the National Football League. You know, coming off of coming off of a uh, coming off of a stretch where they went one, two, three, four, five games in a row with scoring thirty points or more, had not scored less than thirty points as recently as as their as their game against Miami, in which they were a little flat the week before, but they had not been held to under twenty one points. Since since their uh, since their week one loss against Pittsburgh on the twelfth of December, but they, they were and I would have been concerned and I didn't talk about it because in Buffalo Miami who cares I didn't talk about it but if if I would have known that they would have lost this game uh, six to nine against Jacksonville on Sunday I just said hey Miami was very 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 flat offensively. Against the against the buff uh, Buffalo Bills against the Miami Dolphins the week before keep an eye on on it against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense who are chopping at the bit to get their first uh, home victory and first win inside the United States since uh, week one of the 2020 season. Uh, it was I mean their offense was just uh, bright side is bright side is that the, that the uh, Buffalo Bills de- defense looks like it's kind of turned the it looks like it's kind of turned the corner. They pit they've pitched two shutouts they've pitched two shutouts this season, uh, and they held the Dolphins, which isn't which isn't necessarily a hard thing to do to eleven points, and they kept the Jaguars out of the end zone. So their defense. So they, and they held Kansas City to 20 points and got a pick six in their game against Kansas City on October the 10th. So so they've appeared. So they've kept defense. It doesn't look like it's, it's been the issue. It's the fact that the offense too many uh, and quite a few times this season has fallen flat. Josh Allen turned over the football a, b- a bunch of times, fumbled the ball, uh, threw two interceptions in the game, got sacked, uh, got sacked four times. They cannot run the football under any circumstances, and that's one of the glaring issues and one of the flaws with this Buffalo Bills team is the fact that they is that they cannot run the football uh, well amongst the best of them. You know, Baltimore, Baltimore, Cleveland, uh, the uh, the Chiefs to a certain uh, the Chiefs. You know, back when they were. Back when they were good, a la 2019, you know they they know how to run the football extremely well. You know, good teams and play and Super Bowl contending and Super Bowl championship teams are you know know how to run the football. You know, the Rams know how to run the football. The ten, one of the reasons why the Timmy Buccaneers got got to a Super Bowl is because they were able to run the football well with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. Those the, the Packers got to an NFC Championship game because they know how to run the football extremely well. 
the championship contending football teams know how to run the football and t- and and milk the clock and take a bit of, and take the pressure off of their uh, off of their own quarterback and off of their own defense and they know how to milk the clock and play keep away and win and win the time of possession battle by milking the clock and being able to run the football when you're throwing the football 47 times uh, 47 times in a game, and one like that that the uh, that the Buffalo Bills had to play from a tremendous deficit. There wasn't a, there wasn't a touchdown scored in the game, and they lost the game by a field goal. It was a it was a field goal game from beginning to end. Throwing the football 47 times is not a recipe for Super Bowl championship future success, and that is a major, major, major problem uh, that the Buffalo Bills have. But shout out to the Jacksonville Jaguars defense who did a phenomenal job. Trevor Lawrence didn't lose the game, and he did get banged up and had to get taken out with an ankle with an ankle injury. He didn't lose the game for uh, for the buff for uh, the Jaguars. Josh Allen did, and that's essentially and that's and that's what that game on Sunday uh, came down to. So the Buffalo Bills, their ability to not run the to their ability to not run the football would concern me as the season moves along and back-to-back weeks where their offenses looked a little flat and have and have you know they're the buffalo bills first place in the afc you know first place in the afc uh east you know going up against the garbage uh the the you know the two garbage florida teams you know, heading into their respective games with only one win on the docket for the season, and their offenses looked very, very flat against both of their opponents, against Miami the week before, and against Jacksonville here on Sunday. That's number. That's uh, number two. Number three is the uh, is the is the uh, Green Bay Packers losing to the Kansas City Chiefs uh, on the road because Jordan Love stinks. Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't, what in the world the Chica- the uh, the Green Bay Packer higher up thought and saw in Jordan Love. I have absolutely no idea. He was beyond pathetic in the game. 19 to 34, 190 yards, made one pass play in the game, and that was and that you can. And if you want to give Jordan Love the credit, God bless you. But I but I look but I look upon the fact that the fact that Daniel Sorensen is a literal liability to the Kansas City Chief uh, defense. And then their defense, now granted, Daniel Jones and Jordan Love isn't exactly, you know, it, uh, you know, it, it makes life a little bit easier when those when those are your opposing quarterbacks. I understand it, I get that, but and not like it's you know it's Phil Simms and Aaron Rodgers. I I understand all that, but their defense for the time being looks like it's gotten themselves together a little bit. But but that one. Big pass play that Jordan, that one significant pass play that Jordan Love made, which made the game interesting uh, in the fourth, which made the game interesting in the fourth quarter, is the fact that is is I blame that on Daniel Sorensen and just piss poor defensive technique, T- trying to tackle, trying to tackle uh, Alan Lazard's head. He didn't, you know. He he a he over pursued. He tried to tackle his head and try and instead of tr- instead of wrapping his arms around his waist around his torso and either tackling him to the ground or violently shoving him out of bounds. 
Uh, and then, of course, you know, and you do the drill all the time. I know because I did it many, you know, the defensive drill where you, where you chop your feet, 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 chop your feet. Chop your feet. And you're supposed to, you know, it's supposed to, it's supposed to, it's a drill meant when you're trying to chase down an opponent, you don't overrun him like Sorengen did. So you, so you chop your feet, keep your feet moving, so you anticipate where his next move is going to go while you stand in the general vicinity of where, where you, while, while you also, stupid Mike, while you also stay in the general area of where the receiver is, so when he either stops moving his feet or or can't make up his mind what move to go in next. You go in for the ta- you go in for the tackle and you end the play right then and there. But Dan- Daniel Sorensen stinks. I mean, if I was the Kansas City Chiefs fan, I I I, I don't know what I would do. I, they have to get Daniel Sorensen off this team and off the field. He is absolutely pathetic, pathetic, and arguably the worst player on his Kansas City Chiefs team. Meanwhile, their offense. While their defense has shown signs of signs of improvement, you can't say the same for their offense. Their offense is just as incompetent as it has been the last uh, the last few stretch of games. Turn over the football left and right and being and just sloppy piss poor play. They, you know, they have not scored more. They have not scored more than 17 points since the Washington game when they put up 31 points back on the 17th. Of Oct- uh, back on the seventeenth of October, and that, by the way, was the was a was a was a uh, was a stretch of games in which Kansas City went three games in a row of scoring thirty points or more. They have not scored thirty points or more since go- since going up against Washington back in mid October. But back to task at hand, their offense is still they got glaring issues. They, you know they got they got you know, they got glaring issues. Mahomes finally for once didn't turn over the foot didn't turn over the football. They still had the ball on the ground a couple of times with a fumble. Uh, Mahomes threw an interception that would have counted if not the Packers and jumped off sides. Uh, he went twenty for thirty seven through one hundred and sixty six yards. A touchdown. I mean, he he's he's played uninspiring football. Just the, I mean, just the just to be blunt and, and like the uh, title of the show says, tell like a T I is. He's playing uninspiring football. They are not they are not running the ball great. They 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 are they've been a horrendous uh, rush. They've they've per, they've one of the worst uh, uh, running team running offenses in in the AFC they are not they've not been able to run the football uh, tremendously well uh, Mahomes is his uh, overthrowing uh Tyreek Hill a bunch of ad infinitum uh, you know hand over fist he's all he's all for whatever the reason he's overthrowing Tyreek Hill 10 15 20 yards downfield uh, he Tyreek Hill had four receptions he was targeted 11 times uh, which is which is all you which is all you need to know uh, overthrowing receivers left and right. Kelsey and Hill aren't exact. If you have them on your fantasy team, they aren't exactly uh, doing doing your doing your own little uh, fantasy team any favors either. It's the fact that Kansas City won this game because Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing, which again, and I said it last week, I say it again, falls on him because every person that watched that game and every Packer fan knows good and damn well that if Aaron Rodgers. Either was vaccinated or follow, and or followed the COVID protocols as he should have. Packers would have beat the living hell out of Kansas City, no questions asked. But because they got Jordan Love instead of Aaron Rodgers, 
And Patrick Mahomes, although albeit he's having a down season, is no scrub. They're going to find they're going they're they're going to find a way to win games, simply because simply because the Mahomes fact and and Mahomes isn't even having a Mahomes type season. All things being equal, but just the sheer fact and just his sheer presence on the field is is good enough to is good enough to beat the garbage that is a Jordan Love led Green Bay Packers football team. That is the third thing. Fourth thing. The San Francisco 40 the San Francisco 49ers uh who are just an absolute now that game wasn't necessarily an upset but if you're the San Francisco 49ers you know who win it who it was a home game this is a home, this is a home game for the San Francisco 49ers and they are on their opening possessions first three offensive possessions to begin the game six plays 28 yards punt one play, 18 yards, fumble. Third play, or excuse me, third offensive possession, four plays, 11 yards, punt. And they were going up against an Arizona Cardinal team without Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, and A.J. Green. And the Cardinals still put up 31 points. And still won the game by more by two scores or more. If you are the San Francisco 49ers who believe it or not are have not won a home game yet this season, that is absolutely unacceptable. A team that is supposedly supposed to have a good defense and a team that is supposedly is supposedly ran by a good coach in Kyle Shanahan who stinks who stinks? Why Shanahan gets so much love and gets so much praise as a head coach? I have no idea. The San Francisco 49ers, two years removed from a Super Bowl appearance, are three and five. The 49ers under Kyle Shanahan's reign as head coach are 31 and 39. You take away the 2019 Super Bowl season. He's 18 and 36. The 49ers have also, I understand that they've been, that they've been, you know, straddled by injuries. But if Mike Tomlin can find a way to finish nine and seven, eight and eight, or or eight and or uh, or nine six, if Mike Tomlin can hover around and be 500 or better when his team is injured to hell and back. If Mike Tomlin can do it, why can't Kyle Shanahan do it? I and I and I totally get. And again, why can't Shanahan do it? Outside of that 2019 Super Bowl season, the 49ers are 18 and 36 with Kyle Shanahan as their head coach. Take away the 2019 NFC Championship season, 18 and 36, and they've had a losing season with him as head coach. Every single year, except for 2019, that is absolutely unacceptable. When the Arizona Cardinals are led by Colt McCoy, who only had five incompletions on the afternoon, only got sacked twice, or got sacked twice. Only had six incomplete, or excuse me, 
four incomplete passes all game long, did not make a mistake, did not turn over the football, that is unacceptable. When James Conner looks like David Johnson in his prime, that is not a recipe for championship football. 21 carries, 96 yards, 2 touchdowns. And Christian Kirk, 6 receptions, 91 yards receiving. Shanahan is another one who thinks he who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room when it comes to when it comes to football. He's another one. Here's the bottom line with Kyle Shanahan. Here are the head coaches in NFL history that have better winning percentages than Kyle Shanahan. Walt Michaels, Dick Nolan, Joe Philbin, Jerry Glanville, John Makovich, Dutch Clark, Neil with two L's, Armstrong, Forrest Gregg, Ray Rhodes, Rex Ryan, Ted Marshabroda, Dan Devine, Joe Walton, Norv Turner, Jim Mora, Nick Scoriich, Sam Rutigliano, Dave Wanstead, Lou Saban, Mike Trice, Wayne Fontes, Jack Del Rio. Nick Saban, Nick Saban, Kyle Shanahan has done nothing but lose games and look incompetent as an NFL head coach since the fourth quarter, more specifically after the Mahomes interception to begin the fourth quarter in Super Bowl 54. Okay, this is the same idiot that did not want Tom Brady and stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo all for him to draft Trey Lance instead of Mac Jones. I said it once, I say it again. Kyle Shanahan, you can have him. He is so overrated, it ain't even funny. It ain't even funny. Again, they have. Did you know also that the 49ers have lost eight straight home games? Again, they're winless at home in 2021. They've lost eight straight home games. You take away the 2019 season, he is 18 and 36 as a head coach in the NFL. And outside of that 2019 season, they have they've had a losing season every year with Shanahan as head coach. And again, with all due respect to Cliff Kingsbury, Cliff Kingsbury and exactly uh, Cliff Kingsbury and exactly Don Coriel either. Let's be fair. He's done a hell of a job this year, but historically, Cliff Kingsbury and exactly Don Coriel. 
and he's getting coached in circles, circles, by Cliff Kingsbury, and got beaten soundly by a team with, again, without their star quarterback, without their star wide receiver, and without an all-pro wide receiver in A.J. Green. And the Cardinals still found a way to put up 31 points. Shanahan. O-V-E-R-R-A-T-E-D. So overrated, it ain't even funny. And then the Rams go out there and lay a big fat egg to the to the uh, Tennessee Titans on Sunday Night Football. I mean, and, and again, I I understand that they're that 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 it's not a game of perfection, but you know Matthew Stafford going up against the Tennessee Titans and Ryan Tannehill without Derrick Henry and Adrian Peterson, who they signed off the streets at home Sunday Night Football in front of. America, 31 of 48, two interceptions, including a pick six, getting sacked five times, is not a res- is not is not a recipe for Super Bowl championship for for a Super Bowl championship. I'm sorry, and and it's not that the Tennessee Titans defense is exactly you know the best and the best in all of football. The Colts put up 31 points against them. They they held Kansas City in check, but Kansas City is was what they are. Buffalo put up thirty one points against put up thirty one points against them. Seattle put up thirty points against them, and it got destroyed week one by Arizona, and when they dropped thirty eight points on Tennessee. So it's not like that that, ten, that Tennessee Titans defense is uh, you know the uh, two thousand Ravens. Let's be fair. You got set five times. You threw two interceptions. One of them a pick six, and the other one you you pulled out of the Carson Wentz uh, playbook game plan, in which you were just hold the either throw the either chuck the ball to the sidelines, or take the safety. Man's getting dragged to the ground. Knows good and full well he's got nobody to throw it to. Says I screw it, I'll throw it directly to the uh, to the Tennessee Titan linebacker. Throw it direct. Throw it directly to him, to to get to give Tennessee perfect field position in the first quarter. I mean, what what a job, Matthew Stafford. Really, I mean, what a freaking job. But give Tennessee credit. You know, they did a fun. They their defense won them that game Sunday night. Their they wanted any chance to win this game. They couldn't have Matthew Stafford, Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup go crazy. They couldn't. And the two interceptions that Stafford threw in that game turned out to be the difference makers. And just that the Tennessee take advantage of the fact, taking advantage of the short field, putting the ball in the end zone. Hell, they, they look, they scored 21 points in the second quarter. They absolutely destroyed them. Taking advantage of the short field, the gift that was the Matthew Stafford pick six, they did a phenomenal job. First game without Derrick Henry, they did a hell of a job. Gift all... Vrabel coached his ass off on Sunday. Absolutely phenomenal job. Um, and I heard this brought up on uh, Sports Talk Radio the last couple of days, and it's true. You know, the one thing that would concern me about the Rams is that they are too, they're either, they're two extremes. 
they're either they look like Super Bowl they like they they are Super Bowl contenders one week where they go out there they punch you in the mouth and and they, and they play perfect football defense special teams offense is clicking they 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 play perfect football one week in games that they win and they show championship qualities and even a close games that they win win one week yet when they lose they have the qualities of a of a last place team competing for a top 5 draft pick a la the cardinal game when they were horrendous and sunday when they were bad when they were flat uninspiring unmotivated and McVay got coached in circles to that would worry me if you're the rams they don't know how to lose they don't know how to lose a game they don't know how to lose a game when when they uh, they don't know how to lose a game fighting, they don't know how to lose a game giving it all they have. Take uh, have they don't know how to lose a game when their opponent is on the ropes. Whenever they lose, they 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 get dominated, and they're not competitive. That would worry me. That would worry me. Take a break. Daniel Oyfusi of the Miami Herald is coming up after the break. The Amtelecatiaes podcast back after this. Welcome back to the Amtelecatiaes podcast. Joining me now, a friend of the podcast program. We have not had him on uh, since March prior to the 2021 NCAA tournament. He now has a new gig living in a new city, living in a new state, formerly of the Baltimore Sun, now the beat reporter for the Miami Dolphins of now the Miami Herald, the one and only Miami's finest and greatest, not Pitbull, but it is Daniel Oyefusi. <laughs> Daniel, good to have you back on the program, pal. How are things? I'm doing well. I'm glad to be back on. It's been a while. Anytime, man. It has been a while. Uh, when I found out that you, first off, congratulations on the new gig with the Miami Herald that you Thank got you. prior to the football season start. How is it? You know, I understand you are a, you're a Maryland kid, you know, went to University of Maryland College Park. You cut, you wrote for the Baltimore Sun uh, for a couple of years, for, you know, for a good little while there. How is it, you know, you've been in this, within the confines of DMV in the state of Maryland for a good part, if not all of your life. How is it dealing with the new change of moving out of state down south to Miami, writing for a totally different paper for a totally different football team that you that you haven't been around unless you know the Ravens unless they're in town to play the Ravens or vice versa. I love this week. How how are you liking your new gig at the Miami Herald and how, what's life like living down at South Beach? Yeah, thank you. It's, it's very different, you know. Like you said, I'm, I'm born and raised, you know, Towson, Maryland, University of Maryland. Maryland's all I know, and uh, you know, it's definitely uh definitely a step out of my comfort zone. But that's like really why I took this opportunity. You know, I'm so grateful for all my experiences at the Baltimore Sun and all the people I met. Um, but it's definitely been a, a unique and fun opportunity. Uh, you know, the like you said, the team's different. The team's hasn't been doing as well as the Ravens. Uh, but I, I've been enjoying just kind of like getting to make those new connections and uh, meet new people. And, you know, even throughout the seven game losing streak, I've been telling myself, hey, I get to wake up and it's 75 degrees and in the middle right. of October and November. So Absolutely. life isn't too bad right now at all. I'm enjoying it. 100%. Now, are you now with the COVID protocols, are you? 
are you do you go to every game or if it's home games you go to every home game or are you confined to having to watch it on television and if you do end up going to the games and sit in the press box do you are the post game press conferences via zoom or are you allowed to be there in person yes yeah, so i'm going to all games whether it's it's home or road uh you know the interview the interviews after the game are uh, they're actually in person now so you know we're talking to Coach Brian Flores and all the players in person. The only thing is that you have to wear a you know mask when you're in the interview room. You don't have to wear it in the press box. But yeah, we're starting to kind of return back to a lot of the stuff that we were used to, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, obviously, locker rooms are still uh, no go. They haven't uh, opened our locker rooms to media, and who knows when that's going to happen. But you know, we're we're talking to players in person uh, during the week. Um, so you know, like I said, we're we're starting to get back to a little bit of normal. And it's good to have that. How how how's Brian Flores to the media? He's very Belichickian. How how is he to the media? I call I say all the time he's the black Bill Belichick. He's just <laughs> he's just a little taller. He's got a bald head and he's black. But how yeah, how, does, I mean, how does Brian Flores treat the media? I wouldn't go that far as say he's the black Bill Belichick. I think he is. You do you know he's he's kind of gruff sometimes. You do kind of he's he's very uh, straight to the point. You do you know it's really easy. You know the first couple of minutes or first di- couple of days, you know, being in the interview room, you do you do see oh okay I get where these comparisons to Bill Belichick uh, comes from. But no, I think I think he is a little bit more more open, more forthcoming. Uh, you know, obviously he's not exactly like Bill Belichick. But if I was kind of like a mentor to him, somebody that he learned from. But obviously they're not the exact same person. Uh, and they have different personalities, you know, in a sense. Um, but yeah, there you do kind of see you know monotone, straight to the point. Don't get too high, don't get too low. You you do see the comparisons really quickly. Hundred percent. Uh, speaking of Flores, let's talk about his football team. What the hell is wrong with the Miami Dolphins? I said, I said prior to the season, I said this is going to be a good football team. Brian Flores, you know, a no not comes from. He seems like, at least after last year, he seemed like one of the very few, uh, one of the very few instances where you have a coach that comes from a Belichick coaching tree that looks like he's going to be a pretty damn good NFL head coach. Had a good defense last season. And they were, they let's face it, they were a positive COVID test from Ryan Fitzpatrick away from making the playoffs last year. If Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't test positive for COVID prior to their Week 17 game on the road against the against the Bills back in the earlier uh, days of the of the 2021 year, the Miami Dolphins in the playoffs, and then who knows what the hell happens? How? Why hasn't that? Uh, translated from that positive, although they didn't make the playoffs, but that positive building block of a 10 and six season, you know, where, where the season were in 2019, you know, they were one of, they had one of the worst records in football and then they go 10 and six eyelash and missing the playoffs. Why isn't that translated into having a very good 2021 season? Their defense is not as good as you anticipated. And again, they, they were not offensively. They weren't great, but defense, they did a very damn good job against Mac Jones on the road in his NFL debut. Why hasn't the 10 and six uh, signs of progress from 2020 translated to a, what should be a very good playoff contending 2021? 
Yeah, you know, in the midst of, of the now snapped seven-game losing streak, you know, we we spoke to Brian Forbes about kind of it was if, if there was any ability to kind of take uh, some of the the lessons learned from 2019 and turning that season around a, little, a bit. You know, they they that was the rebuild year, the tear down and rebuild, but they're able to string some wings wings toward the end of the year and finish five and eleven. We asked Brian Forbes, hey, is there anything you can kind of learn from that from that as you go through similar issues in 2021? And he was like, no, you know, every year is different. Every team is different. You kind of have to start from ground zero with the team. You know, you bring players back, but you still have to kind of start from ground zero. And, right. and I think that when you look at this team, uh, it's kind of the culmination of a lot of things. You know, they, they I, I don't want to say that they took the 10 and 6 season for granted, but I think that maybe as a whole, we kind of took it for granted. Um, and, and you kind of forget that you have to kind of start back from ground zero. Um, when you look at the offense, you know, they, they invested so many resources in kind of building an offense that fit to a Tungabaloa's skill set. You know, they they got rid of Chan Gailey, who, you know, had a really close relationship with Brian Fitzpatrick. They bring in uh, George Gatsi and Eric Stoosville to be like co-offensive coordinators. And then they hired Charlie Fry to be the quarterback's coach. And he had a relationship with Tua back to high school. But there's like all this subterfuge and nobody knows who's calling the plays. And there's just like this weird play caller structure that just nobody, you know, that, that Brian Flores and the coaching staff just won't answer who's calling plays. So you have that. Um, the offensive line is flat out. They're the worst offensive line in the NFL, frankly. Uh, they're giving, yeah, they're, yeah, they've given up more pressures than any NFL offensive line right now. And I think the most like disheartening part about this is that like a lot of those guys like played, you know, they, they were rookies in 2020 and, you know, they were, they were, they were so, so, but you would think, Oh, you have an extra year of experience. You're going to be a little bit better, but the complete opposite has had, you know, they have a new first year uh, offensive line coach in there. And there's questions about whether he's been developing these guys properly. They've kind of run through a lot of offensive line coaches. And just just gone backwards. Yeah, yeah. They've really gone backwards. Uh, and then you look at the wide receivers, you know, they bring, bring in Will Fuller. Will Fuller's played 64 snaps the entire year. He broke his finger in week three, I believe, or, week four or he, he hasn't played in over a month and there's no telling when he's going to come. Demonte Parker's on IR. President Williams is on, on IR. Is, uh, has been injured. He's facing discipline issues. So you only really have like Jalen Waddle and Mike Kaseki to throw the ball to and you don't have a reliable running game. And you know, this is an offense that's like pressed to even score 20 points on a good day. And then you have the defense, which is also regressed. You know, you guys just aren't playing to their standard. Xavier Howard has had some issues at times. Brian Jones has had issues at times. They're not getting as much pressure. You know, this was a defense that was built on, uh, you know, third down situational defense, red zone situational defense, and forcing turnovers. Up until, you know, this past game against the Texans, where they forced four turnovers, they weren't taking the ball away at that rate that we've come accustomed to seeing. Um, I think that in recent games, we've started to kind of see them put some things together on defense. Although you kind of take that Texans game with a grain of salt, I think Thursday night will be really telling to see how much improved the defense really is. But again, it's just kind of like organizational failure you know, from top to bottom. Even you look at general manager and people are calling for his heads, his head because he's kind of missed in the draft. He's missed in free agency. You know, they got rid of a lot of veteran guys and brought in a lot of young guys who haven't necessarily played to the standard that they've wanted yet. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot of a lot coming together to make like a, a crap show to, to put things uh, kindly. You know, this is the reason why we're, we're hearing all these reports and rumors about their interest in Deshaun Watson, uh, because, you know, there, there's this thought that if they bring in the quarterback, you know, then they can kind of, uh, they've got one, they've got the, the massive problem that's kind of plagued this franchise for the past 20 years. You know, if they can get Watson, then they can just kind of plug in some stuff here and there and Watson will mask some of the, the issues. But what I and a lot of people have been saying is, 
you know, we've seen throughout the first half of the season that there are like core, core issues with this team that Deshaun Watson or any, you know, good quarterback isn't going to be able to mask completely. Um, so the second half of this season is going to be really interesting. I don't really think that Brian Forrest is in danger of losing his job unless the wheels really fall off the wagon. But again, they're going to have to string some wins together over the last half of the season to feel confident about, uh, you know, kind of going into that offseason. And then who knows what's going to happen? You know, they're still interested in Watson. Are they going to keep Tua? What happens to the GM? There's a lot going on in Miami. Yeah, uh, two and seven just got their first home win of the new year and their first uh, win since week one. They lost a turnover battle five and four against the Texans, and that game had nine combined turnovers and still won the game 79. And Wolf Full, I checked, broke his thumb in week four. I went back and checked. And I was going to – that's a brilliant job on your part because I was going to ask about Brian Flores, and you said that it doesn't appear that he is uh, essentially on the hot seat unless the season really – uh, unless the season really goes to crap within, you know, during the second half of the season, how how about the landscape as far as the fans are concerned? I see all the time that the attendance at Sun Life Stadium is in the toilet. Uh, you know, the, the Miami Marlins, nobody goes to their games either. Uh, you know, basketball season is about a few weeks. It's about a few weeks old. Miami Hurricanes football isn't. You know, they, they this isn't a 2001 Hurricanes. I can tell you that right now. Um, you know, and what's the feeling with the with the uh, Dolphin fan base? So don't go to it. You know, the team is bad. You can you can find seats, find them at a at a Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami. Uh, and if you get a chance, listen to the local sports talk radio in, in that uh, area, or whatever. What's the feeling like as far as the Dolphin fan is concerned regarding this team's underwhelming and frankly disappointing uh, start to the 2021 season? Yeah, well, I can tell you at that last game uh, at Hard Rock Stadium, Mr. Texas, there were a lot of empty seats, man, uh, a lot. And I'll be interested to see how many Ravens fans make their way down to South Florida for that Thursday night game. But I think that, uh, I guess I would say two, there's two feelings. There's a lot of uh, disappointment and apathy. And I would say disappointment over frustration or maybe uh, maybe being upset because there were actual expectations tied to the season. Uh, 2019, they knew, we all knew what was going, what was going down 2019. They were, they were playing. They, the they waved the white flag before the season even started with all the trades that they pulled off, right? Exactly. So, you know, you have 2019 where everyone knows and you kind of, you kind of just fight through that season. 2020 where you don't, you know, you have two and you have a, a glimpse of hope, but you still know that you may be a season away. And after that 10 win season, like you mentioned, you know, there was actual optimism and hope. And it wasn't like full hope. Like when you looked at the team, I mean, I thought that this was a team that could, be about 10 and 7 and maybe fight for a playoffs but I didn't think that they were going to make the playoffs but I thought that they were going to be a lot more competitive that we see than we've seen so when you when you see this team just just be so incompetent as as a fan you know I've definitely seen that you know there's a lot of just disappointment because you know a lot of these fans you know they've, they've been here for 20 years and they've they they you know, team hasn't won a playoff game in, in two decades so there's a lot of disappointment there and I see the apathy because you know when I first got here someone mentioned hey, there's a lot of stuff to do in this city. If the football team isn't playing well, you can go to the club, you can go to the beach, you can go to the mall, you can, go to, you can do a lot of stuff. So I think there's a lot of attitude. Right. People are saying like, whatever, I'm going to I'm gonna take my time, I'm going to use my time and spend it elsewhere. I'm in Miami. Why would I focus on, on, a, on, a, on a losing franchise? So I think, like I said, there's a lot of disappointment and real apathy, just this non-interest in the team right now. 
hundred percent. I had them personally going uh, at eleven. I had them at eleven and six, finishing in second place ahead of the Patriots and getting the seventh and final wild card spot in the AFC. Uh, but like you said, especially, and that's where the where the not just in the NFL but pro sports teams that play in those destination landmark cities, quote unquote, the Miamis, the Los Angeles. Uh, New York City. I know it's cold up there, but it's you know it's one of the biggest cities in the entire world. And one and you know when in, when a non-American thinks of America, you think New York City and you think Los Angeles. So if you're not good, or New York, if you're not good, they kill you. And there's also <laughs> stuff to do. You know the fans yeah. call talk radio shows and have you fired. The newspapers will kill you left and right, but. You know, if in like Los Angeles and uh, Miami specifically, because those are warm weather cities, if you're not good, they can they got other they got other areas and other ways they can spend their inter- entertainment dollar than watching a piss poor uh, uh, football. Uh, but uh, now you've been there a good amount of time, and this is not necessarily a Dolphins related question. This is more like a, a general Miami sports themed question. I remember in game six of the 2013 NBA finals where the fans flocked to the ed- exits yeah. <laughs> prior to, uh, prior to uh, Ray Allen's game tying three to send in an overtime against the yeah. Spurs. They flocked to the exits there. They, you know, they, their, their support for the Miami Marlins has been subpar. You know, this, this is the franchise that got founded about 25 some odd years ago, and they've won two championships. I understand it was a 60 games uh, season, but they made the playoffs in 2020 for crying out loud. Jeter owns the team. They don't go to Mar- they don't go to the Marlins games. And like you said, you know, when the Dolphins stink, they don't go. It seems like the only true passion i guess you could call it that's for the heat you know and i hear all the time from people that have been around a little longer than i have that miami is one of the worst sports cities in america i understand that you that you live in the city and if you say something in your little column or if somebody there's 12 people listen to this show but if one out of the 12 people that listen happen to live in miami gardens and they get a hold they hear that so I want you it's to tread lightly. <laughs> I want head. you to tre- tread lightly here with this answer. But is my, would you call it, Would you say that my, that the city of Miami is a quote unquote great sports town? And in, in your opinion, in your eyes, I mean, I would say I think so. I mean, I say they're they're a passion passionate bunch. I mean, when I when I go through my Twitter my Twitter comments and guys are uh, guys are guys are like really passionate girls they're passionate about this team I mean they're they're very very invested you know these are fans who watch the games they watched all 22 they know they know the ins and outs of the teams and 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 I would say it is great I mean like I said I mean maybe they maybe because they're in Miami they 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 might have more of a shorter tolerance and given the the especially specifically the Dolphins kind of ineptitude maybe they're they have a little shorter lease on you know really kind of giving their time to the Dolphins but the these fans are passionate and they they care about their football team. They want their football team to be great. They want their sports teams to be great. Like I said, I think it may be maybe more a Miami, you know, environment thing where hey, you know, you can you can go, like I said, you can go to the beach, you can go to the club, you can do a lot more if you're not really interested in the sports teams. But they're they're really passionate. It's a it's a really fun fan base. You know, I've been I've been really having a good time interacting with all these people. Good deal. Um it's t- it's Tua. In jeopardy of, uh, I understand that we, you know, that the Sean Watson rumors are floating a little bit. 
It's Tua's job. Now, I'm not even talking about 2021, but long term. It's his future of being the Miami Dolphins starting quarterback in, in jeopardy for 2022 and beyond. I mean, I would say so if you speak to uh, if you speak to Tua or Brian Flores or anybody publicly, they'll say, oh, no, we're taking it day by day. He's our quarterback. You know, we heard that so many times in the lead up to the trade deadline. Tua's our quarterback. Well, yeah, he's your quarterback now until you get a new quarterback. Um, you know, a lot of people have kind of labeled these final nine and I guess eight games as a kind of evaluation period for Tua, given the organization's continued interest in Deshaun Watson. And I think that that's a, that's a fair statement to make that this is kind of an audition period for not only his future in, uh, in Miami, but maybe elsewhere. Um, you know, we still, he's, to this day, you know, he still hasn't played 16 full games. I mean, he's been knocked out of one, he's been pulled out of two other games. Uh, so, you know, we still haven't really seen what Tua can be. And, you know, I'll be the first to, to say, you know, he hasn't been surrounded with the right infrastructure. But at the end of the day, uh, they see the best availability is availability. Um, and if he sits out Thursday night's game, it's going to make what? It's going to make five in uh, this season and six in his career. And, you know, they're just frankly, they're not, that's, that's, not, that's not enough to really get a good, clear picture of, you know, what this quarterback can be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's, it's, anywhere near definite that he's going to be a starting quarterback in, in 2022. Yeah, and Jacoby Brissett also is not the answer. It's absolutely horrendous against the Texans. Uh, 244 passing yards through two interceptions, got sacked four times with that turnstile of an offensive line you guys have, and uh, through one touchdown was 26 of 43. Um, speaking of which, and one of the reasons why I had you on is because it's kind of a weird scenario for you because – the team that you've grown up, uh, that you've grown up around and rooting for your whole life. You're, you're a Towson native, went to University of Maryland. You are, you know, when they cut you open for any surgery, <laughs> surgery, God forbid, knock on wood, you know, it's not just going to be red. It's going to be, it's going to be uh, yellow and black that comes out, out of inside <laughs> you along with it because the uh, Ravens take to take the South beach, and uh, play the Miami Dolphins on Thursday night football in a couple of days and two days, as a matter of fact, at the time of this recording. Uh, what is your thought? First of all, as a uh, first of all, as a as a as someone who covered the Ravens la as as uh, as uh, recent as last season and has, you know, seen as long as everybody else has seen the Ravens, has seen Lamar Jackson play and and just the 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 uh the improvement and just the uptick of Lamar Jackson's career as a whole give me your before we get into the game itself and how the Dolphins will play and how you expect uh Brian Flores' game plan and everything else just give us a two cents on what you've uh seen and what you've taken so far from the 2021 Ravens as a whole at the midway point of the season yeah, so I, I've been uh, – I was able to watch the first two games against the Raiders and the Chiefs, obviously, those primetime games, and I caught the Colts games. And, I, and I've been able to, you know, catch a bit here and there of games and whatnot. I, it's, you know, it's been kind of fascinating to see the evolution of this Ravens offense, really, Lamar Jackson. You know, like you said, I grew up watching this team. You know, I remember – I guess the first season that I really remember was, like, that 2007 season, that struggle season before they got uh, – 
Kyle Bowler. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah Troy, Smith was in there. Troy Smith was in there a little bit too. And you know, it was the season before they got John Harbaugh and Joe Flacco. And it's like I remember when they were struggling to score 20 and they were just relying on the on the defense. So to see them rely so heavily on on the offense, specifically Lamar, uh, who's improved so much as a passer has been great. Um, and you know, to you know, I keep on saying, I mean, at this point, I mean, I don't know how you can't say Lamar is the MVP, isn't the MVP with the way that he's really, like, galvanized this team. You know, they have the most guys on IR. They're bringing, you know, they're bringing, like, running backs that would make you, like, happy on your 2014 fantasy football team. And Devontae Freeman, and they well, absolutely. And he's just getting it done. So it's been it's been actually really cool to see, and I'm glad that, you know, people are really starting to, like, give Lamar that, that respect that he deserves as a passer. Well, here's a stat for you for that Lamar Jackson point. You know, the Ravens lead the NFL with three, not one, not two, three double-digit comeback wins. Prior to this season, they had not won a regular season game when trailing by 10 or more points since, since September 18th of 2016. And I'm going to see if I can find what what game that was on September 16th. But you... But you made an absolutely excellent point. You know, the, Lamar Jackson has put this thing, and I said it prior to the season on this show. I tweeted it out on my Twitter account. I've said it, you know, I said it after the Chief game. I said it after the Colt game. And I'll say it again right here. The best thing, the best thing that happened that's ever happened to Lamar Jackson, the football player, that will benefit him long term in this league. It's J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards going down prior to the season, going down out for the season, going on IR. That is the best thing that's ever happened to him as happened to him as a football player because it woke it woke him up. It was like, listen, you're one of the most electrifying players in the sport. You're one of the best quarterbacks in the sport. You are one of the most popular and well-known quarterbacks in the sport. You are the you are arguably the best bolt you're arguably the best player out of the two Baltimore sports, obviously, because the Orioles stink and Lamar Jackson <laughs> won the MVP. I think I think it was unanimous, I believe, back in yeah, 2019. You know, you led the Ravens to, to that umbu- you know, their best regular season record in the history of the franchise, 14 and 2, number one seed in the AFC back in 2019. He and you know, he it woke up, it was like Whoa! I gotta be the leader, and I and some of the criticism for Lamar Jackson that you've been hearing the last couple of years has some of it's been a lot of it's been warranted. Some of it has not, but has been warranted is the fact that and and again I go back to the Titan game all the time because that's the one that really sticks in your memory. You know, if you either are a Ravens fan or you see a lot of the or you see the Ravens play a hundred percent of the time. You know, the ability of when the chips are down, when their backs are against the wall. To get to get up when they're down, brush themselves off, go to their team and say, "Hey, I'm your leader. Look at me, everybody. Look at me and focus on me. We are going to win this football game, and I am going to be the focal point and the main reason why we put this, why we're going to win this football game. I, y'all get on my back and come hell to high water. You know, what doesn't matter if, what the hell I got to do. I am going to win this damn football game." even if it kills me. And he ha- and all the all-time great quarterbacks that are that have won Super Bowls and are and whose bus is sitting at, in the Hall of Fame as we speak, they have that trait. Uh, uh, Montana, uh, Bradshaw, 
Unitas, um, uh, uh, Aikman. You, you, know, you, can, you can go, you can go down, you can go down the list. Uh, Steve Young, uh, Brady, although he, you know, he's not, a, but he's a greatest quarterback of all time, not in the Hall of Fame. But you get the idea. That is what makes the all-time great quarterback that can win not just one but multiple Super Bowls. That assassin mentality, especially, especially when they have to play from a deficit. Because 2019 Lamar Jet, you know, the, the Chief game, the Colt game, the hell, the Viking game from this past Sunday. Yep. 2019 Lamar Jackson, albeit he won the MVP that year. 2019 Lamar sure Jackson. I'm not sure to do that, yeah. 100%. And that just goes, not just how much he's grown as a player as far as his physical attributes are concerned of how he's thrown the football with the fantastic precision. He's got a fantastic arm, gotten more accurate than everything else. But just the mental piece of how, of how he, of how it's like, we got to win this football game. And I don't care what, what I got to do. I'm going to make it happen for you guys. I'm going to step up and I'm going to be that alpha. And I'm going to be that leader that, 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 that the great Super Bowl contending teams have and so desperately need, especially from the quarterback position. I, I'm going I'm to I'm 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 be that guy. And he has been that guy this season was one of the reasons why the Ravens are one of the best teams they have seen. Like you said, and I haven't agreed with you, you know, when it comes close is, uh, is Matthew, is, uh, is Matthew Stafford, but he, that's what, that's why he's an MVP candidate. And you can make the argument, the front runner, because he has developed that killer instinct that when the chips are down and when everybody has counted them out and thinks all oh, the Ravens are dead, they're done, they're finished. You know, he's a running black, blah, 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 blah. He, he internalized it, takes it personally and says, I'll show you. The next thing you know, get, give him a fourth quarter and give him a second half. Hell, give him, give him whatever, what, about like less than two minutes and the final drive against the Vikings on Sunday and they'll go out there and they'll make some plays with his arm, make plays with his legs and they'll go out there and prove you wrong. Set up Justin Tucker to kick a 66-yard field goal and a good night and the Ravens walk out of there with the W. But, uh, but he's, uh, he's done an absolutely fantastic and phenomenal job. Uh, getting to this game with the Dolphins, um, you know, the Ravens, the, you know, a lot of the game – now, granted, that's all been fan, fine and dandy, you know, what they've done as far as the comebacks and everything else. But the problem that the Ravens have had themselves in is that, you know, it takes them a while for them to wake up and realize that they're, in a fo- that they're playing in a football game. They, they, sleep, they sleepwalk way way too many times against again you know there's no reason why why that viking game on sunday had to come down had to go into overtime and come down to it and i understand that their defense is not that good again they've also had their issues with injuries on the defensive side of football as well but you know could you see the dolphins taking advantage of the fact that you know short week especially and it's a road game so if you got a short week and you go on the road that's that's a, that's a, that's a uh you know that's a double negative that's a double negative that's a, that, you know that's a uh that that's that puts the ravens behind the, although the ravens are a better team that puts them behind the eight ball even more could you see the dolphins whether it's percent whether it's percent or in some miracles two of plays whatever could you see the dolphins take advantage of the fact that the ravens as of late, you know, the Bengal game didn't start out hot. Viking game coming off a bye. You know, the Colt game, the Chief game, they were a mess the first couple of minutes uh, going all the way back to week two. Could you see the Dolphins take advantage of the fact, take advantage of the Ravens possibly sleepwalking to begin Thursday night's game? Well, 
the interesting thing about that you mentioned about the Ravens starting slow is that for all the Dolphins issues on offense, they've actually been one of the best first quarter teams in the NFL. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm actually in the mindset that I think, you know, the spread was kind of interesting because I thought that seven and a half was way too low or seven a touchdown. I thought that was way too low, but I do think that the Dolphins can keep this game a little closer than most people think. I mean, Thursday night is always kind of weird. The home team usually has the advantage, but I think that the Dolphins, uh, the Ravens overall are more talented. Uh, so yeah, I do think that this game early on will be a little bit closer than most people think. I think that the Dolphins defense is kind of rounding into shape, but as the game progresses, I think we're going to start to see the limitations of that, that Dolphins offense. And, uh, you know, if the Dolphins defense isn't turning Lamar Jackson over, you know, strip sacking him, intercepting him, getting a couple short fields for the Dolphins offense, it's going to be real tough for this, this Dolphins offense to score more than, you know, 21 points, even as much as the Ravens defense has struggled. Um, so yeah, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it's a, it's a one score game, but uh, I think that the Ravens would definitely pull away late and win by uh, two scores. 100%. By the way, that I, I think the Ravens are going to absolutely destroy the Dolphins again. <laughs> that game I, the game I referred to with that stat I gave you on September the 18th, 2016, that was the comeback victory over the Browns, 25-20. to 20. And the okay. last meeting between the Ravens and the Dolphins was, of course, week one back in 2019 yep. when the Ravens damn near put up 60 against the Dolphins, <laughs> beat them. 59 to 10 and a halftime score for that game was a halftime score of that game was 42 to 10. Uh, and so that was the last time. And that was Lamar Jackson's. Uh, it, it was the catalyst of that MVP season. Yeah. quote unquote coming out party. <laughs> Not that for game, back. <laughs> right. With that, with that fantastic breakout performance in the Miami heat in early, uh, in early September. Um, so it's one. So I want to divert from the from the Ravens and Dolphins game. Uh, you know, by, by the way, do you, does anybody at the Miami Herald have an opportunity to uh, to talk to the opposing pl uh, players and coaches? And uh, I, I got a second. I got a follow up after that. But does the Miami Herald like uh, last week, for example, did you guys have an opportunity to talk to uh, Cully and? Um, and the starting quarterback for the Texans and week one, have an opportunity to talk with Belichick and Mac Jones. Give me a scenario of how the, uh, the uh, Dolphins crew for the Miami Herald goes about their business when it comes to the opponent. Well, uh, I mean, at least pregame, the NFL kind of scrapped that, which is interesting. The NFL used to, you know, make the opposing teams uh, quarterback and coach available for the media, but they've kind of scrapped that. In terms of post game, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a road uh, interview room where you know any reporter can go in there and ask questions. We usually don't uh, unless there's like a clear, clear kind of connect where you know you might need a quote from somebody. Uh, but it, even even with that, you know, everything is transcribed after the game and sent email to us. So uh, you know, even if we don't talk to them, you know, we get to see what they say and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I don't I don't I don't think most of our reporters, you know, I don't obviously I'm covering I'm covering the team, so I'm usually in the Dolphins interview room. Uh, but yeah, our reporters don't usually go into the opposing uh, locker room or opposing interview room unless there's like a clear connection and need to do that. Gotcha. Um, do you have an opportunity to talk with that week's broadcasters at all? I don't know who did the uh, who did the uh, Texan uh, Miami game for Fox last night, but do you have? I can't stand as far as I can throw them, but do you have an opportunity to talk to uh, Joe Buck Aikman and Andrews, who I like? 
Uh, but do you have an opportunity to talk to the uh, Fox TNF crew? If not you personally, does anybody within the uh, within the paper have an opportunity to talk to the uh, to to the broadcasting crew for the upcoming game? It's only on request, uh, and you know, given the short week, you know, I just I don't really I don't really have a need to talk to the to the announcing crew. And uh, again, it's a short week, so you're just kind of focused on writing the stories ahead of the game. Um, I know that Monday Night Football, uh, they ESPN usually makes their uh, they usually have a conference call. They'll make their uh, some of their analysts and announcing crew available. Um, so I know that the Dolphins play the Saints, I believe, on Monday Night Football, or either the Saints or the Texans on Monday Night Football. So I'll probably I'll try to go out my way to maybe talk to Brian Greasy or Louis Riddick or somebody. And can you tell Greasy not to not to <laughs> screw up with, with the – well, maybe I should go for two here. Right? Yeah, yeah, I think that was just the Greece, part. I was, Greece, I was, I was can, can you pay attention, please? And while we're at it, you know, Steve Levy, you know, bouncing around doing Monday Night Football and the hockey ESPN – can he maybe not go on the air and say when when Najee Harris got to Tuscaloosa to play for Saban? Can you maybe not when a guy grew up homeless in all of his childhood? Can you maybe not go out there and say he refused to sleep on a bed and he wanted to sleep on the floor because it was more comfortable? I understand that Greasy came went out on Twitter and apologized after Najee Harris corrected him on it literally like 20 minutes after the game was over. But you, you leave me. You do the games, you do the work, you go through the production meetings, whether it's in person, Zoom calls, whatever. And, and, and Steve Levy has been in the game a long time, which is why it's unacceptable. You cannot make that mistake. You know, get, get it right. When, it, when a guy grew up homeless and, you know, had to live 75 to 80% of his childhood without a pot to pee in, a bed to shove it under, and a window to chuck it out of, you can't get up there on there and run that football and say, oh, yeah. When he got to uh, when he got to Tuscaloosa to play for Saban, you know when his teammates are Devonta Smith, Mac Jones, Henry Ruggs, whole night, and, uh, and uh, I forget the other wide receiver's name, which will come to me in a minute. Uh, you can't get up there on there and say, "Oh yeah, he liked to sleep on the floor." But anyway, that's neither uh, here nor there. It's just something that bothered me. I, I, and I tell you something else too: we weren't alive to see it, but I've heard a lot of people, you know, tell me otherwise. Outside of Al Michaels and uh, Al Michaels, John Madden and Mike Tirico and the now infamous John Gruden, the, the Monday Night Football broadcasting booth, it's far from grace from Howard Cosell, Don Meredith and Frank Gifford has been astonishing. You don't have to comment on that, but that that's not the, that's not the here nor there. I mean, what what an absolute farce. Uh, but anyway, the biggest story, one of the biggest stories in the NFL this week uh that's that honestly is bigger than the sport itself is this Aaron Rodgers controversy with not wanting to take the uh COVID vaccine and him and him showing his ass to Pat McAfee on his program on Friday uh just give me your whole I screamed and yelled about it when you're making over 30 million dollars a year when there's over when there's over when there's millions of plus people all over the world that have died from this, about a quarter of a million within this country that have died from this. People stay, going to the hospital sick with COVID left and right. You know, people that have to cheat death if they do make it out on the other side. It's just too it's just too many factors involved and too many variants. Excuse the pun for Rogers not to get vaccinated. He's best defending MVP. We saw it from Jordan Love that when he and when he is an understand when he is an understander, the team 
the team's chance of winning the game go down tenfold. I understand that they ended down you know, well, Devontae Adams. I get that. And you can still catch COVID and still get sick while being vaccinated, but your chances of being hospitalized are slim to none. Your chances of dying are slim to none. And also, you know, wide receiver, you can you can find a Pro Bowl wide receiver any day of the week. There is not, you know, champion, Super Bowl championship quarterbacks don't grow on trees. It's If if the last two games haven't proved you that Aaron Rodgers is more valuable to the Packers than Devontae Adams is, and no disrespect to Devontae Adams, he's a Hall of Fame wide receiver, one of the best in the sport. But come on, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you got to have, and you're 37 years of age, been around the block a little bit. You can't sit up here and give us that that I, I'm the smartest guy in the room, cocky, arrogant, narcissistic attitude when it comes to the vaccinations and 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 COVID and not and thinking you're above protocols. If you have to wear a mask when you're interviewing Brian Flores in the uh, in an interview, and and you're the type of guy that Aaron Rodgers, when he goes out there and doesn't put the mask on, he spits on. To hell with the guy that's to hell with the guy that's just getting started in the sports journalism. Uh, industry that's got to meet a deadline within the next 10 minutes that you know has his own family and friends his own inner circle outside of working outside of the uh, Green Bay Packers practice facility up at Lambeau to hell with them you know I'm gonna go out there I'm gonna go out there in the media room and not and not have a mask on that type of stuff like that really pissed me off what is your two cents on on this whole Aaron Rodgers COVID vaccine controversy thing yeah well I'll start with saying that, you know, I'm vaccinated. I would like Aaron Rodgers to be vaccinated. Uh, my issue wasn't so much about the fact that he's not vaccinated. It's the fact that he lied and he was kind of smug about, and he, you know, he said misled, but he really lied about his vaccination status. And he then he did. Kinda, and then he kind of doubled down on it, you know, in the, on, the, on the Pat McAfee show with a lot of, uh, you know, just lies about vaccine and these these narratives that have been debunked and whatnot. It was really that, you know, a lot of people compared it to Kyrie. And my thing was like, well, Kyrie just flat out said, like, he doesn't feel comfortable with it, da-da-da. And, you know, Kyrie was ripped, but we kind of moved on. But it's, it's really the fact that it kind of resurfaced, it kind of surfaced that he lied about it. Um, and then he kind of spoke as if he was vaccinated and wasn't going to judge people who weren't vaccinated. And really, he was in that same boat. So that's the thing about it. You know, if you're going to, if you're not going to take it, don't lie about it. Don't, don't be you know, discreet about it. Um, just own it and don't try to mislead people, as he said, or lie to people. Uh, that's the, that's really what it was about me. It's like you have a platform. Uh, you have a platform. You gotta, you gotta, you really gotta be mindful of that. Um, so, like I said, if he doesn't want to be vaccinated, I mean, that's his own issue. But don't like, don't spread vaccine misinformation and then mm-hmm. lie about it. So that was really where I took issue with it. A hundred percent. Go out there. He has to realize that you know he's got a ton of influence. And, you know, that little small little town in Green Bay, he has to be more mindful. He has to be more responsible and moral and have enough self-awareness to go out. It's not going to Pat McAfee show and sound like a complete uh, idiot off of Newsmax, you know, telling you that I consulted with Joe Rogan. Last time I checked, I must have missed it, Dan. Did you get the, did you get the notice where Biden Harris called a press conference in the meeting room with Jen Psaki, Saki, whatever, whatever the secretary's name is? And said, "Hey, Joe Rogan is our new uh, is our new Surgeon General." Or, or did they secretly fire Fauci behind closed doors and appoint uh, Joe Rogan the the uh, head guy for uh, COVID disease control? I mean, give me a freaking break, Aaron. You, you're thir- you're 
37, and he's going to sit up there and say, and spread the misinformation about about the about the about the steriliness as far as as far as him reproducing. Couple of things. One, why? Because you heard you heard some cockamamie story from Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend or whatever. I mean, give me a break. That's the second. That's the first thing. And then second thing, with all due respect, and I'm not you know trying to piss on anybody that uh, that's in their late 30s or early 40s still wanting to have children that are either unmarried or don't have a uh, or don't have a uh, partner to make a child with. But let's call it like we see it and let's be fair. Aaron, you're 37, you're going to be 38 years of age in, a, in less than a month's time. If, if you ain't having children now, you ain't, you ain't ever going to have children. I mean, let's just let's just call it. Unless you want to raise a 15-year-old and want to have a bunch of high school students you know, run around when you're in your fifties. If you ain't, if you ain't, if you ain't had a child at this point in your life, it's it's maybe maybe it's not for you. It's maybe it's not for Aaron Rodgers for you to go out there and have children. Anyway, I digress. And then the third thing, you know, I don't know how you feel. I don't know how how your body is, but uh, you know, my sperm has not exactly left me as far as uh, you know. And I've been vaccinated since mid May. My, uh, you know, my manhood hasn't exactly escaped me in the last five to six months since I've been vaccinated. That that was just a well, what a what a disgrace. And and, and a, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's a bigger joke by the National Football League. And you know, to hell with their TV ratings. You know, all they care about is their TV ratings and 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 trying to make a buck. How about the NFL and Goodell have some guts and have the gumption to sit and say, you know what? No one player, no one person is bigger. It's bad enough that that they won't kick Daniel Snyder out. No one, no one player. They suspended Brady for four games for the Clayton footballs, and 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 Brady is a million sons better historically and right now at at forty four than than Rodgers is at thirty seven. Look at look at the NFC Championship game back in January for uh, further proof. But hey, you didn't you didn't get vaccinated. All right, that's your choice. But you lied about it and you hid behind semantics in the media and you were asked a direct, upfront, and honest, black and white question in, in late August during training camp about this. You lied. And then you and then you went about and then you went about the uh the Green Bay Packers facility and Lambeau Field amongst amongst your team and amongst your and amongst members of the organization as if you were vaccinated and you knew good and well that you were not. And he, and he did we wanted to win anyway because we thought that hell I'm Aaron Rodgers I'm above COVID rules and COVID protocols and COVID procedures that deserves the punishment. If it was my eyes, if I was the commissioner, he ain't playing in the Seattle game. He ain't playing until he ain't playing until until the Ram game November the 28th. If that was me, NFL said they aren't going to come down with uh, a suspension, which is the old gutless, spineless NFL that's afraid to stand up to anybody. Uh, you know, once again, but hey, it's it's an in my eyes, it's another joke and another disgrace that Aaron Rodgers didn't get suspended because he shut up. Because not only was not only was it dumb, stupid, narcissist, and narcissistic, it was incredibly, incredibly irresponsible and childish too. Thirty-seven years of age, been out of college for a minute. You gotta, you gotta have a, you gotta be better than that, and not just go on and pat McAfee for fifty minutes and ramble on. Using a using a whole bunch of right wing buzzwords and dog whistles and talking points. Anyway, I digress. Here, 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 here I am rambling about Aaron Rodgers rambling. Daniel did a <laughs> Daniel did an absolutely phenomenal job. I appreciate you for coming on. Appreciate it anytime, John.
You got it. He will uh, be at Hard Rock Stadium for Ravens and Dolphins come Thursday. And we will be back with the Amtelic TIS podcast coming up in just a few seconds. Welcome back to the I'm Telekatelius podcast. Thanks again for Daniel Oyefusi for coming on and talking Ravens Dolphins with us. Um, now to close out the program, I had to get to this one of the major themes to close out Week Nine, and that's just the fact that the ref ball and it came to a full head uh, in the Bears Steelers game on Monday night. The ref ball that has just been tarnishing and ruining these football games. It's just absolute, absolutely atrocious, and it has to stop. Because instead of me talking about how Justin Fields put together a good, put together a great drive that, all that, in all intents and purposes, shows that he's going to be a quarterback that's here to stay, and he is the Chicago Bears' franchise quarterback for years to come. Instead of me talking about that and the and what should have been a game-winning touchdown drive that he constructed late in the fourth quarter, and him essentially have picking himself off, picking himself up and dusting himself off when he was not great for when he was bad for for seventy-five percent of the football game on Monday night. Instead of me talking about that, instead of me talking about how Ben Roethlisberger has. Again, not look like Terry Bradshaw. I look like the Ben Roethlisberger of old, but he certainly has improved his play from the first two months to begin the NFL season. Instead of me talking about that, instead of talking, instead of me talking about and saying, "Hey, believe it or not, the Pittsburgh Steelers are in second place to the AFC North at five at five and three, and currently hold." Stand by and currently hold the sixth seed in the AFC playoff picture. Instead of me talking about that, instead of me talking about how the Steelers quietly, but instead of talking, but the Steelers are quietly on a four-game winning streak. They haven't lost a game since their since that road debacle against the. Uh, Green Bay Packers in early October. Instead of me talking about the fact that the Steelers are on a four-game win streak, they currently hold the sixth seed in the AFC playoff picture as of this moment in time. They're second place in the AFC North. The, the Justin Fields showed tremendous signs of promise, and he is going to be the quarterback of the future, and he is here to stay for the Chicago Bears. Instead of me talking about that, hell, instead of me talking about the fact how how the Chicago Bears. And I said this last week, and I tweeted it last week after the Giants-Chiefs Monday Night Football game of how the Giants may be the most undisciplined team in football. The Bears are are making a tough, tough, tough uh, attempt at trying to take that title and take that crown from the Giants because the because Chicago Bears may be the most undisciplined football team in the NFL. Instead of me talking about that, instead of me talking about how Matt, how Matt Nagy still, for whatever the reason, still has his job and deserves to be fired. Instead of me talking about all of that, 
I got to sit up here and talk about how the NFL officiating is an absolute joke and a disgrace. It's a disgrace from the fact that they missed two false start penalties on the Bears' right tackle, number 75. I forget what his name is. They missed two false start penalties. Twice, their right tackle jumped early before anybody else did. And I'm looking, and I'm slowly looking, I'm like, he jumped. They didn't throw a flag. He jumped twice, didn't throw a flag. Missed two false start penalties. They missed an obvious, an obvious roughing the passer on number 56. Uh, get his name in a minute. On number 56. Um, uh, I guess you guys fucking get his name. 56 on Pittsburgh. Missed an obvious roughing the passer uh, penalty on uh, on number 50. On uh, number 50. Now, in my now in my estimation, in my book, if I was in charge of the rules for the NFL, would that hit that would that hit on Justin Fields qualify as roughing the passer? No, that's a football play. But considering that they have called roughing the passer for plays similar to that and plays that are less violent than that, so to speak. A la players getting smacked on upside the top of their head by a defensive lineman or Brady or Brady in a 2018 AFC championship game getting slapped across his shoulder was called a roughing the the fact that 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 less uh, that less violent plays quote unquote have been called roughing the passer or plays equivalent to that have been called roughing the passer and that wasn't doesn't necessarily uh, Alex Highsmith. That's his name. The fact that the fact that that wasn't called and plays similar to that or less worse than that what have been called rough in the past in the past is a problem because that's a consistency issue. The rules there's too much gray area with these rules. They need to be black and white, cut and dry, not no wiggle room and no gray area. Because they'll call that they won't call that this week. But let, uh, but let, um, trying to think, let Chase Young, yet Chase Young get off a clean tackle with a little bit of oomph behind it when he, uh, if he, if he gets to Tom Brady on Sunday and, and watch, and watch, and watch not a uh, rough in the, and watch a rough in the passer uh, penalty be called 15 yards, especially in a situation where it inconveniences Washington. Watch. Too inconsistent. Now that does now that uh, just be consistent. If you're going to have a crappy rule, make sure that the that the crappy rule is properly enforced, and that the crappy rule is inconsistent all across the board. When it isn't, that's when you have that's when you have major issues. Also, there was a hit. A helmet to helmet hit on Minka Fitz, and don't sit up here and give me the bull jive. Well, he wasn't a well, he wasn't a quarterback at that time. He was a runner. Okay, with uh, with the Jet game, the Jet game, the previous or yeah, the the Jet game the previous week. Okay, how many times do you have to go? Through? I went through it last week. I'll be more than happy to do it again. The in the in the Bengal Jet game last week, Mike Hilton trying to make a tackle. 
on on uh, on Johnson, the running back for the Jets, tries to make a tackle. Johnson bracing for the contact, lowers his head to initiate the Mike Hilton the Mike Hilton helmet to helmet contact. Yet that was called an illegal hit helmet to helmet contact, unnecessary roughness penalty on Hilton, which would have. Which, if not had been, which if the play would have stood and no penalty would have been called, the Jets would have had to punt the ball back to the Bengals and Joe Burrow to give the Bengals offense one more opportunity to go down the field and win the football game. Instead, they got up, that opportunity got taken from the Bengals when he stopped the Jets on a third and eleven, gave the Jets an automatic first down, and and I understand the Bengals had to stop them after the fact. They couldn't. They didn't. They lost the game, not crying over spilled milk. But the fact that they called it in that situation, they called helmet helmet contact when unless you didn't want to, unless you didn't want Mike Hilton to tackle Johnson, how's he supposed to make a defensive play? Johnson lowered his head and initiated the contact. And if there is sl- if there is the grazing of helmets and a and 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 incidental slight helmet to helmet contact, what are you gonna do? It is tackle football. It is a full contact sport. And even though I understand it, the NFL is trying to make the game safer. You can't get rid of helmet to helmet contact entirely because if that's the case, why the guys? Why the eleven foot? Why on a, on the eleven or eleven are the guys still wearing helmets? You can't eradicate all helmet-to-helmet contact because at the end of the day, it is a full contact tackle sport. Helmet-to-helmet contact is still in some form of circumstance is going to be incidental, like you saw in the Bengal Jet game the week before. Mika Fitzpatrick goes ahead and makes a play on, on Justin Fields, makes a, makes a hit to him to knock him out of bounds, hit him towards the sidelines, helmet-to-helmet contact. NFL officiating rules it a legal hit, yet Mike Hilton on on Johnson, a running back for the Jets, was not deemed as such. Again, inconsistency. Furthermore, what that taunting call on on Caddis Marsh, which was an absolute disgrace, they the NFL ruled that the call that that the call was the definition of taunting with the player gesturing towards the sideline and an opponent. Because he takes a couple of steps before towards the Pittsburgh Steelers sideline, he takes a couple of steps, and I guess stares him down. Stares him down, doesn't rule it a rough and a passer penalty, or or excuse me, they rule it a taunting penalty. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And did you know that there have been thirty-five? taunting penalties on 136 games through the halfway point in the season. That's up from five at this point from 2020, eight from 2019, 20 and 2018, and 13 total in 2017. It's a joke. It's a, and again, instead of, instead of the bad rule being Highlight in bold yellow, where everybody can see it and everybody can take notice of 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 what of, of what's going on. The garbage rules are not black and white. Too much inconsistency. It's too subjective, and it's too gray. Instead of it being cut and dry, black and white, right and wrong. 
and you don't get that, which is why, which is why, you, which is why you have these fiascos, and why you have the ref ball tarnishing these football games, and why you have these referees who deserve to be unemployed. This is why too much gray area stuff, too many gray areas, too subjective, too inconsistent. Make it clear and make it cut and dry. This is what the play, and it's a garbage rule that needs to be getting rid of anyway. But if you're going to implement the rule, at least come out and say this is what you, this is what, you, this is what you can do, and this is what you can't do. That if you do do it, will result in a taunting, in a taunting penalty. It can't be up to the referee's judgment and the referee's mood, and 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 the and the Tony Corinthians of the world who think that everybody tunes in to watch Monday Night Football came, and the people that came to Heinz Field in Pittsburgh came to see him referee a football game because that's a joke and that is an absolute and utter disgrace Tony Carrente should 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 sit down for a little bit he he, he shouldn't he shouldn't referee another football game until Thanksgiving weekend I've seen enough of him every single game that Tony Carrente does he always finds a way he and his crew to stick their big fat beak in the game and and inject themselves in a the game and ruin the pro the product that's on the field. Nobody pays the money. I've said this. I've said this. I don't know how many times. Nobody pays good money. Whether it's the cable bill, the PSL, the ticket prices, the parking, whatever. Nobody pays good money. Whether it's to watch it on TV or to watch it at the stadium. Nobody pays good money to watch these NFL football games to watch the referees officiate and take over the game and make the game about themselves. Nobody, nobody, we don't watch the NFL to watch the refs. We watch it for the football and we watch it for the players. We don't watch it for the refs. We didn't watch, we didn't tune in to watch Monday Night Football to look at, to look at Tony Carrente officiate. Poorly, I might add. Keep yourselves out of the game for the nine millionth time. Just in the last two weeks alone. Keep yourself out of the game. I'm begging you. And again, if the NFL had any guts and had any cojones, they'd A, they'd, they'd have more self-accountability for their officiating. Carrente should sit a couple of games for an absolute horrendous job that he did on Monday night. And they should and the referees should meet should face the music and meet with the media after the game the same way players do and the same way coaches do. And I don't mean, you know, in in his little in his little dressing room secluded uh, secluded from everybody in the, you know, in the uh in the little uh nooks and crannies of Heinz Field to a pool reporter. No, 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 no. He gets up in front of the national media and the local media, in front of the TV cameras with the NFL network microphone in front of his face and he answers and he answers the tough questions. Just like the coaches have to do and the players have to do. Referees, and that's and this is in all sports. Referees and in baseball cases, umpires, Gabe Morales, I'm talking to you. The same should apply to them. Because it's not fair that they have to be accountable for their mistakes in front of the media, in front of everybody, and the officials get off the hook. That's a joke. Him sticking, him sticking and hip checking the guy. I mean, what an absolute disgrace.
Carrente shouldn't, shouldn't I'm dead serious. Next time I, I see Tony Carrente officiate, officiate a football game, it shouldn't be until the weekend of November the 28th. Just sit him down for a couple of days. Show him who's boss. Him, 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 him enforcing his will on a football game like that. Nobody, nobody, nobody wants to watch you referee, Tony. Take it down a notch, will you, please? And, and and have a little and have a little bit of class and a little bit of respect and a little bit of decorum for the game and for the athletes and for the fans who either who either pay a fortune to come watch the game in person or the or 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 the or, or the people that 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 have to pay the. The heavy uh, cable bill freight to watching on TV. Show, show some de show some decorum, and again, if the NFL had any guts and they had any cojones, they they'd hold their they'd do a better job holding their officials accountable and putting an end to this nonsense, and getting rid of and getting and and and, also, and at the same time getting rid of these garbage buffoonish buffoonerish. Uh, asinine, egregious, roughing the passer, and taunting penalties that nobody, and I do mean nobody in America, whether it's the fans or the players themselves, wanted or asked for. If Ron Rivera, John Mara, and Mike Tumman have a problem with the taunting, tough. Who cares? Coach, coach your football team and win games. Mara and Rivera, I'm, t I'm especially talking to you. Who need to be more worried and more concerned about you, about the success or lack thereof of your football team than than a player, you know, uh, taunting an opponent, talking talking trash and gesturing to him. Worry worry about your football team instead of the quote unquote sportsmanship of the game. Give me a freaking break. At your show. If you're new to the program, like what you heard, please subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore ATIS. That was the Instagram handle I gave first, by the way, not Twitter. I misspoke there. Talk to you guys on Wednesday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. Talk to you in a couple of days. See ya.